The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Can I eat this roast beef? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai. Bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Uh, what is what? What number is this again? One forty-six, maybe. I believe so clickety oh. click, yeah, Barbara trick. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah, uh, it's a good thing I'm not in hurdles because first hurdles already tripped over. It is one forty-six. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have said one forty-six on purpose just to hear you say clickety click, Barbara trick. Because uh, I've done that a couple times now. It seems like. <laughs> Uh, so that we are back this week with a different type of episode. We brought along a really good friend and uh, can I say aspiring filmmaker? I guess I guess I could say that. Uh, yeah, uh, he's a filmmaker. He is a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Zeke. I don't. I don't know if you want me to say your last name on the air or not. So no, totally fine. It's uh, Pinero. Yeah, there we go. And it's good to know that that's the way they pronounce it too, because that's the way I've always said it. <laughs> oh, that's. <good. laughs> One of the few. <laughs> so good old Zeke, he's uh, out there on the West Coast. He's uh, you know uh, getting up either rather early uh, to be on the show with us this week. And uh, we're very excited to have him on the show. We've, we've talked to him for quite some time now. And uh, it's really good to have you on the show finally, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So... Uh, and I am here. I'm just laying back in the car. Yeah. Well, so. yeah, instead of introducing you, I mean, I figure with the clickety-click barber trick, you've introduced yourself pretty well. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, you know, if we had plush toys, you know, your pull toy would say that probably. <laughs> yeah. And mine would say, oh. ouch, my toe. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It would have a removable, like a snap-in and snap-off toenail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your little yes. peg on it. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Disgusting. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're gonna we're basically gonna talk with Zeke a little bit on our first segment today, and then we're gonna about his uh, short film, the uh, the price, and also his uh, some upcoming work he's working on, and then we're gonna review a, a spaghetti, a little spaghetti western, a, a bullet for the general. One of the this is an odd film because I, uh, it makes a lot of people who love spaghetti westerns like top ten or top fifteen, but. A lot of people don't know about it, so it's it's going to be interesting to talk about it with you guys. And well, I don't know if had you seen it before. Yeah, it was. Uh, here's a piece of trivia. I, you know, I'm a big, uh, very very vocal Damiani advocate, and this was the first Damiani I'd ever seen. I'd seen it well before I'd seen any of his Euro crime films. So okay, um, but uh, yeah, I had seen it. It had been quite a long time because it was actually one of the early sp- spaghettis for me as well. So yeah, yeah, it's actually early in the cycle too. It's a '66 film, but yeah, very early. I saw the mascara eyes in it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that's that's going to be the show uh, of the program. So right now we'll uh, get into what we've been watching. And as we do typically whenever we do the what we've been watching, when we have a guest on, we always defer to the guest first. So Zeke, uh, anything you'd like to talk about? Yeah, there's there's a, a few things. As I was saying before we went on the air, the unfortunate thing of um, working in the film industry is you don't have much time to watch things. But I was able to squeeze a few things in this last week. Uh, I would be remiss to not jump in on the Amber Heard shorts, <laughs> short shorts 
<laughs> drive angry conversation. And uh, I remember when I saw the, the 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 trailers for that, I was like, "Are those really Daisy Dukes?" That's <laughs> me. There's one shot where it's a really low angled shot, and it, not to sound like a pig or anything, but but it it, it it works quite well. And I'm a fan of Amber Heard. Has been since all the boys love Mandy yes. Lane. Yeah. Uh, gorgeous. She's talented. Uh, so I was, I was, I was kind of stoked to see this and also, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, even though people with good reason tend to be kind of leery of the cage, you know, um, bad lieutenants, one of my favorite movies the last couple of years and mm-hmm. he still pulls it off, but I felt drive angry was just, you know, it, it's kind of the, the problem in kind of the whole post Tarantino Rodriguez grind yes. where it's, 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 it's exploitation filmmaking with the safety net, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's that, it's that thing, you know. It, it's one of those things where I just don't know. I mean, no offense to the director. He's a pretty talented guy. The, I, the film's okay. The for, We'll like the, the Bloody Valentine remake more than well, me. I loved but, it, yeah. Uh, I did too, yeah. But it's just, you know, it's like, it is part of the problem. I mean, it's like, it's like the wrong people making that movie. That's just my opinion, but, you know. I, I like that term Zeke said. It's with a safety net because if, if performances aren't good, if – some effects are rope. It's like, hey, it's grind now since VHS glory days. It's, you know, we're not trying to be good. And it's like, well, motherfucker, you know, what's the point then? Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's got to be the all or nothing days. That's right, man. <laughs> nice. Um, and then uh, what else did I watch? I watched uh, Hobo with the Shotgun. Yeah. Um, which uh, is new on uh, Netflix Instant. And um, quite enjoyed that. Are you guys still there? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. A lot of people have been saying, kind of going back to our grindhouse topic, but, uh, this was the grindhouse movie that, that was the most grindhouse. It didn't play to me like a movie that, that would play, you know, in a, in a seventies no. exploitation movie theater. It played more of like, it you know, yeah, it was, it, it's, it is, I believe one of your callers called in and said it was the best, uh, trauma movie Lloyd Kaufman never made. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I actually like. I, I felt it was. Um, I felt it was, it was. It was a bit more competently made than that. I really enjoyed it. I actually. I actually really enjoyed it. And Rutger Hauer, you know, you talk about a, a MBT in that film. Oh, yeah. Um, he's uh, uh, he he sells every line in that movie that he has, even though he has very little to work with. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was I was excited to see that. I was, I was talking with Miles about it. I'm kind of jumping around at 3 a.m. I wanted to load up on coffee, and then I think I overdid it. <laughs> um, uh, but I was talking to Miles about it, and I was kind of I was kind of interested in seeing it. And when he told me that it was the director that did Treevenge, that yeah, short film, that's a fantastic short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got really excited about seeing it. And it certainly, certainly dis- didn't disappoint. I'd like to get uh, that director and Neville Dean and Taylor in a room and see what they come up with. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be interesting, no doubt about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have to say, with the thing you said about Howard, I think we've said that before on the show. He's one of those actors, one of those few actors. I think you could give him like the worst dialogue ever written, and he would somehow find a way to deliver it interestingly. To give it gravitas. So. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's just one of those kind of guys, you know. It's just he's just one of those kind of actors. I don't, you know, some people have it, and he has. It. <clears throat> yeah, he really like he finds that you know it's it's. I have, I have a friend that was. Um, telling me about an actor that they were having an issue with and, and, and this actor's main problem was he wasn't believing anything that he said was saying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the other, um, the, the advice he got was, well, you're being a selfish actor because you should be listening to what the other person's saying. And I think that Howard really does that. Like he really, he really 
you know, gets himself into the moment of those scenes, you know? Um, and then, uh, I went uh, a little old school and watched uh, Kansas city confidential. Oh, nice. Yes. With, uh, you know, we're, we're in a different age of cinema when, uh, Lee Van Cleef can play the, uh, can play the good looking guy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. yeah, Most of the horse face, uh, rugged man. Nice. Yeah. That is true. That's one. I, uh, that's one I've criminally never seen. Believe it or not, me neither. Oh, it's 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 really good. It's it's one of those movies that, that I was I was really surprised by. Just kind of, just kind of surprised by it because, you know, it, you you kind of have kind of your generic noir template or crime film, and uh, it, I don't it. I I feel like it's the most Tarantino film. That uh, it, it feels very Tarantino to me. Mm-hmm. I'd like you. I'd love to hear what you guys. I'd love for you, for you guys to see it and hear what you think. Definitely check it out. Sometimes film yeah. film noir. It's got a great tagline. I'm looking at the poster right now. It says the picture that hits with bullet force and blackjack fury. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because a blackjack is that little uh, beaver tail. Yeah, <laughs> instrument yeah. of uh, blunt force that people always use. And I could re- never remember what it's called. Yeah. It, yeah, I've been hit on the arm with one of those pretty hard. It hurts. Well, Hopefully not in an alleyway. No, 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 no. Just you know, playing around like kids do with a blackjack. Ooh, we got a blackjack. At least we didn't hit each other in the head. I think modern children would probably hit each other in the head with it. <laughs> Splitting wigs, man. Yep. <laughs> so is, 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 uh, is that everything, Zeke? That, that is sadly everything. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I sometimes hear you guys on this show, and I'm like, how the fuck do they do it? Well, if you this year, we haven't been as uh, prolific oh, as we were last year. <laughs> so. Yeah, this, this week especially, man, because I was camping and shit. Yeah, this year, dry, dry. Yeah, this, yeah, you were out there with your Jason mask. You had some, you know, you had to do just a little <laughs> Leslie Vernon-type work out there or something. No doubt, man. <laughs> like, kids, go ahead and take a nap. Daddy's got to go to work. That's right, brother. <laughs> All right, uh, Large William, what have you been up to? Um, the lightest week I've had it probably all year. Um, every every month I've gotten over thirty, uh, but August might be. I got to really have to dial it up in the last week here. Um, only got two things in. Um, I watched American Samurai, which uh, is a David Bradley, Mark Dacascos joint. Um, nice. It's uh, it's pretty decent. It takes place in Turkey, and uh, they actually reference Midnight Run as a no Midnight Express. I'm sorry, Midnight yeah, Express. Yeah, yeah. And they talk about the prisoner. And have you seen Midnight Express? Like the Turkish policeman saying this. So it's uh, it's decent. Like it's it's got uh, one of those. <laughs> my wife saw this with me. There's a moment when David Bradley's having a nightmare about uh, a ninja coming into his room. So of course that calls for us to cut to him jumping off the couch in his speedo, holding a samurai sword. Well, yeah, why not? <laughs> The line between reality and fantasy, or dreams, uh, Freudian slip there. Some, uh, some, uh, some keep a gun under their pillow, you know, some keep a samurai sword nearby. Yeah, yeah, so Bradley uh, rocking the... Me, it's a glass of water, but hey, it's a different time. I yeah, live yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you don't have to cast what's hovering over you uh, with the katana, so... Glass of water also is not a very powerful weapon in the role-playing world, I can tell you that right now. No, unless you have deadly aim yeah. with that glass. I hit you with my plus five glass of water. Yes, exactly, man. Hey, now. Hey, now. Uh, uh, yikes. Okay, let me just turn this off or something <laughs> yeah. vibrate. Um, and then the only other thing I watched was uh, my wife and I had a date night, and uh, we went to see Fright Night 3D. And I got to say, I was cautiously optimistic about this one. Um, not that I thought it was going to be anything earth-shattering, but when I watched the trailer, I thought, hmm, you know, this, this looks decent. I'm surprised. Yep. And the, the cast involved, Tony Collette and... 
and uh, Colin Farrell, and I like Anton Yelchin for a young actor. Um, Tennant, David Tennant, I'm not really familiar with his, his work. I know he's, he's pretty well loved for Doctor Who and stuff, but I got to say it was it was a decent effort, like six and a half territory. Um, oh, I nice. did enjoy it. There's some stuff that was it was pretty bad, but um, there's some other stuff that was quite enjoyable. Um, they mixed up a few things, obviously, uh, especially in terms of the the Jerry character and and um, the Peter Vincent character was he was more like sort of like a, a Russell Brandy kind of Vegas. Uh, gothy showman so that was one big difference but you know it was decent it, it definitely worth a watch I think um, mm. and that's my week in a nutshell other than like I said I was camping which was nice to get away man I haven't been camping in a few years and despite you know being kind of hobbled with my back and shit it was, uh, it was a good weekend man just to get away no oh, nice nice uh, you know that uh, Friday night. I was going to wait till some people saw it before I decided to ever watch it or not so I, I'll get around to it so, so everybody's saying about the same thing so. Yeah, they're definitely worth everyone's time. Like I said, it maybe a touch long at just under two hours, but mm. there's enough good stuff in there that I can't I can't see anyone hating it. I mean, because I think um, again, there's some talented people even certainly behind the screen or behind the screen. Yeah, behind the screen too. <laughs> yeah. All right, I only watched uh, a few films myself, uh, but they were both very good. Um, I watched uh, Time Crimes finally, which mm. there's a funny story about. <laughs> funny story about Time Crimes is, is that you know I started it. I literally started the thing about two years ago, uh, paused it, and I never came back to it. It's just one of those ones that you know it's just like it was a slippery, slippery slope for me. I just I got away from it, and never got back. So I had it, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to watch this film because I know everybody likes it, at least likes it. I don't know anybody. I love that, it. I don't know anybody that doesn't dislike that dislikes it really. I was like, I'm going to watch this finally because, uh, you know, and so and I made a little joke about it on, uh, you know, Facebook and stuff. I was like, was it me or was it the film? You know, but it, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's really good. You know, it's a really good film. Uh, definitely would have been in my definitely would have been probably my top twenty that year at least. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a really it shows a you know small budget. Yeah. If you're you know talented, you can weave this pretty <laughs> intricate little time travel because it was it I think it's. Like an hour in the future, it takes place or something. Yeah, and like and like these these type of films, it's it's because it's so small in scale in a way you have to really kind of pay attention or else you will get confused really easily. Oh yeah, because it <laughs> once they start saying Hector one, Hector three said this, Hector four said that. <laughs> if you don't know, <laughs> if you aren't paying attention, you don't know what the fuck a Hector three is. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a great one. I'm so glad you finally. I was so excited when I saw you were watching. I was like, oh man! I think I even said like so excited. Yeah. There's some things about it that are you know you know you could easily pick apart, but as sure. you got to think about it as a low budget uh, film, you know, made by a filmmaker, I, it, and it's it's well done. It's well done for what it is. I mean, I, when I say just pick apart, I probably could pick apart maybe the fact that I think he wears the bandage a little too long, but it looks great. You yeah. know, so that's the thing about that, right? So actually, it's kind of the bandage thing is kind of gross with the stuff on it and stuff. It just kind of made me kind of queasy. Him yeah, it probably thing. wouldn't smell very good. I think Ooh, either in the uh, sort of Spanish heat. <laughs> You know, yes, yes. And his new film's actually at TIFF. Um, I'm not going to get to see it because I can only get four in. Oh, yeah. But, uh, it's called Extraterrestrial. So, yeah. I wonder what that's about. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, really good. So, you know, if anybody out there hasn't seen it yet, still, like me, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, and the other film I watched was uh, Beautiful. Oh, the, yes, yes. How do you say his last yeah. name? Inuatu? 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 I was hesitant to watch this film. If you've listened to the show over the last few years, you know I, I was kind of lukewarm on Babel. I was kind of lukewarm on... Uh, well, I'm not lukewarm. I did like uh, his first film. Amores Peros. 
But uh, and this one, I was just kind of, you know, it's two hours and it's 140 minutes long. It's a long movie. And uh, I thought, eh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, really know. But anyway, the Blu-ray came in the mail from Netflix. And I was like, well, you know, it's here. I'm going to watch it. Similar to yesterday when I got the Ward in the mail, which I'm watching that this week. That ought to be Ooh. an experience because mm. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, speaking of Amber Heard. And um, so I watched this film. And this film, this film's a near a near masterpiece. Uh, it's really terrific. Uh, Javier Bardem is uh, wonderful in the film. It has a supernatural slant, which I didn't see coming. Uh, that's not that was a nice touch, and it really just is. It's just one of those films. Now, I'm not giving anything away to say you know he plays a terminally ill man because that's in the plot synopsis. I won't give a whole lot more away than that. But as a, as a as a newly uh, newly uh, made father, or however you want to say it, a newly minted father here, uh, this film fucking crushed me in some oh, ways. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that obviously that has something to do with it, but it, it probably would have crushed me either way because it's just, it, it's an interesting film because, uh, you know, it shows how somebody who's not really, it's one of my favorite things. It's like you take a character who's not exactly in real life, he wouldn't be a very likable person, uh, but you make him, you know, you still show the human side of this person, so... Mm-hmm. And it's really well done. And I will give the the director that. He always manages to somehow find the humanity in most of his films. So I really like that. So so glad, man, because that's one that it's going to, it's, you know, right now, it's probably in the number one spot for me this year. Um, that's gorgeous, too. It's a beautiful looking movie. It is, man. Not and, to, and no pun intended. I know Aaron liked it, too. And Aaron sometimes, he likes some, he, he sort of in agreement with us on some things, other things. He's like, nope, sorry. But, well, you know, he is going to start a Twitter page on his bowel movements. So that kind of gives you an idea where. That's yeah. great. I would recommend <laughs> eating corn to add a certain yeah, really. je ne sais quoi to your Twitter I can, page. I can tell you, I love the guy, but I'm not following that fucking Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't want to follow that. Uh, but soft serve ice cream. Yeah, I would say probably a Dairy Queen soft serve cone. Um, but. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you liked it because it's one of those things where because I loved it so much and I, I was emotionally invested, you hope that all your friends and peers feel the same. Now, Zeke, do you like Ian Rita's work? I don't know if you've seen much of it or all of it. Or You know, I actually have sadly seen uh, none of his work. Okay. Well, I'd be curious, especially as a filmmaker, the way he goes about weaving his films together, uh, what you'd think. If you ever get a chance to check out, maybe Morris Perez would be a good, a good a spot as any. It was his debut film, to the best of my knowledge. It's, yeah. it's readily available, and it's quite good. He spent he spent eight months uh, editing beautiful so wow it's like he 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 got in there and he had an idea of what he wanted to do and then he kind of started changing his mind about what he wanted to do so but it, it's an achievement I don't know what the film would have been like what he had originally planned but uh, you know sometimes films change in editing I mean I, Zeke would know that more than anybody I don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah it's 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 pretty it, it's pretty insane I mean it's the the old adage of of you write a movie three times in uh, you know, when the when you're writing it, when you're in production, and when you're edit, and when you're in post production, is is completely true. So, it sounds like you just got off a plane. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a there's a police helicopter circling me, or, uh, not me, but my apartment building for some reason right now. <laughs> nice, That's, ah, the West Coast, yes, yeah. West Coast. Yeah. Suddenly, I'm in colors. <laughs> Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> I, it's probably better to be in colors than in East LA Warriors. Trust me. Uh, so you know, so one of our friends just recently watched that, and I'm glad that they, they enjoyed it. We're going to do that on the show at some point. Great, it's a great nice. film. Also, well, I have to say on the air, 
bravo to saying happy birthday to Mr. Darren McVie and getting a reply. I have to say, bravo, good sir. I know, I wanted to mention, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Darren McMe, Darren McMe. Wow, that's wishful thinking. Uh, Darren McBee, uh, Malibu, a.k.a. Garrett Bodine of uh, the Killing Zone fame. I, I actually gave him a yeah, birthday shout-out on my page, but I did the whole at thing, and he's like, oh, it wasn't my, my finest hour cinematically. I'm like, no, 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 good sir. <laughs> it's an amazing film that's a lot of fun. Don't yeah. sell yourself short. Nice. I think I'm angling for an interview with him, man. I think we got to get the – he's uh, you know one of those golden gods. we got to try to get him uh, – on the show man that will be an interesting one there all right so that is everything we've watched we're going to take a short break we're going to come back and we're just going to discuss uh some filmmaking with our good friend zeke so uh we'll be back right after this are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like whether it's music movies tv or whatever you're into head on over to the palaver.com forums Yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Welcome back. We, I don't know what I played during the break there because I'm not playing the breaks live, so can't really comment on that. Wish I could, but who knows? Uh, <laughs> just the way it goes. I thought I thought I had it memorized and just realized right after I hit the record button, I did not. So, yes, I am a professional podcaster. All right, so uh, we're basically going to talk to Zeke here a little about his short film. Uh, that he sent us, uh, The Price, uh, directed by him, and uh, what was the other gentleman's name? James St. Vincent. That's right. He's a very good friend of mine. He also uh, wrote and plays uh, Drake in the film, The um, the Heavy. Okay. Nice. Okay. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that and talk about a little bit, maybe some upcoming projects, and hopefully just get into some good chatter about filmmaking in general, as I think a lot of film buffs and people who do stuff like podcasts and stuff like that, I think if they... <laughs> You know, I think a lot of us, if we, I mean, I know for me personally, I don't know how Will feels about this. I mean, if I had my druthers, I'd, I'd love to be working in film in some way. Oh, for sure, man. And sure. Uh, so it's always good to actually talk to people who are actually, you know, pursuing that. So so we'll get started on this. Will, I'm going to defer to you. Uh, I'm going to drink uh, a little bit of Gatorade here. I'm, I'm going, I'm no coffee this morning. No coffee this morning. Nice. I want to yeah, try, try to go back to sleep today. Yeah, I got to take one anyway because I took a couple of all threes for my fucking back. So... I don't want to be just on the desk uh, in a little bit. But the first question, it, you know, I think it's kind of a softball, but I think it's one that I'm always very curious to see how someone would answer this. And Zeke, I guess it's it's the sort of uh, how did you get into directing and what was 
what compelled you to? Was it a certain film? Was it, you know, what really uh, prompted you to get into directing? Um, you know, what's, what's weird is I, I, I actually have to kind of, you know, being a child of the 80s, of course, you know, you kind of, you know, you watch Star Wars and Indiana Jones and kind of all those films. And, 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 but, and, and that's obviously kind of what makes you go, oh, wow, I, this, those are the movies that made me really want to be a storyteller so much so that when I would play with my action figures, I'd have friends come over and they're like, no, let's just have them go to war. And I'm like, no, there's a plot here that I'm building up and, 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 and everything. So, um, it was, uh, from a young age, like my, starting around my ninth birthday, I, um, like from like nine to 15 for my birthdays, I would, my birthday parties would consist of me writing a script and then, uh, inviting friends over and then we would shoot a movie and that would be my birthday party. That's awesome, man. That is, that is so fucking cool. <laughs> Not unless you saw the, it, it sounds awesome unless you see the output. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, at least you were doing that though, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, it was my mom. She would rent a, um, you know, one of those giant VHS camcorders and, and we'd shoot and then I'd watch it and I'd be like, why the hell doesn't it look like a movie? Um, (laughs) you know, which, which kind of forced you to start watching things and analyzing them and everything. And then, um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And, uh, you know, it's over the break, Will, we were, you were talking about, uh, parole violators and, um, after, uh, college, I, decided to to kind of make my own um you know kind of jumping ahead in my my story here but uh uh i decided to make a a mariachi style film it was a vampire spaghetti western called uh, the high cost of sunrise and it had in it patrick g donahue of pearl violators come on (laughs) small world wow (laughs) nice that is amazing how did that come about then? Since we're going down the rabbit hole here, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, I, I was living in the Bay Area at the time. I went to the school in San Francisco State, and um, and so I, I just kind of put an ad out, uh, just saying, "Hey, I'm making this movie with the description of it," and um, got a number of actors that were all just really great guys. I actually. There's a few of them in the price. I tried inviting as many as I could to be involved in in uh, in the price, just because it's it's they were so awesome and donating their time and everything. I just want to keep making sure that they're getting roles as long as I'm have roles to give them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of those actors, I, I had a role um, that was just a, a small day player part, uh, but needed a lot of uh, character. One of the actors that I had. Um, recommended a, a buddy of his, uh, Patrick G Donahue, or Patrick Donahue. And, um, yeah, he showed up and he did it and he did it for free. And he was just a, a really nice guy, just a gentleman, just a really cool guy. So, wow. That's awesome. He, you get the sense that he's a really nice guy. Like when you watch it, even though he's flying out of windows and all sorts of <laughs> shit, you get the sense that he's not a dickhead. Like he's just, he's, you know, a genuinely nice guy. So that's cool. I mean, one of the nice things, I mean, really the thing about this industry, you certainly run into dickheads quite often, but there are more just awesome, you know, incredible people than there are, than there are the, the douchebags. Yeah, that's a good, that's good. That's, that's encouraging Zeke because, you know, I think, um, A, to know someone like you, just incredibly gracious, you know, really, you know, it's the great thing about what me and Sammy do is getting to meet amazing people, um, from all walks of life. And then you, 
who's in the walk of life that, that we happen to be really passionate about from the outside. So it's nice to see that people like you and then for you to say something like that, there's, there's more nice people than dickheads is, is nice to know because you, Sammy can cut himself off from it easier than I can, but I hate to think that, that some of the people I really admire are total fucking assholes, but that's the way it goes sometimes, I guess. No, I, I'm, even like when I, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to meet several people that I've looked up to for years and I'm always really nervous doing so because I'm like, don't ruin all these like <laughs> memories I have of your work. Yeah. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. That's always, that's always the, uh, the nightmare. And one of the reasons why I, you know, I'd say nine times out of ten, I don't have a bad experience. But typically, like when I go to a convention or something and see some of these actors, because typically, I mean, for me, I'm a bigger fan of like, you know, like the Robert Zadars and these kind of guys because they're kind of cult actors, right? You know, I find them very interesting people, and uh, so it's always kind of a, a there's always that little bit of uh, trepidation to go up to them and say, you know, hey, how you doing? And afraid they're going to just you know fucking wig out or something, you know. Exactly. And, and exactly. It's, it's always it's just, it would just be heartbreaking for me, you know. <laughs> this it would just destroy me. And I've had a few bad experiences, and of course, you know, Savini was one. But uh, I don't mention uh, most of them on the air or anything because you know I never know if we're going to actually talk to any people or anything. So I've had a few bad experiences, but remind me sometime I'll, I can tell you some stories. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it is it is one of those things. I have to say, you know, uh, your short uh, the price. Uh, I have to. Uh, what was it like? Uh, if this is a weird, maybe a weird question, maybe not a background or history question, but I got to ask this question because I, this is actually one of those actors I think that's like a cult actor that I quite enjoy, and that's uh, I, got, I don't hope I say his last name right. Is Carlos uh, is a how do you say his last name? Because I don't want to butcher Gallardo. Gallardo. Carlos Gallardo. Okay. Oh Zeke, you should let him give it the old college try. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, thank you Zeke for not not because you know. Jesus, I'm I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. I butcher names all the time. Uh, what was it like working with him? Uh, because you know, for me, he's kind of a seminal part of a, a film movement as much as even the director that he worked with, Robert Rodriguez, when he was in uh, El Mariachi and stuff. I, I was wondering what it was like to work with him. Oh, it's you know, he's actually become one of my best friends, um, and uh, nice. yeah, he's just an incredible guy, just a great guy, great to work with. Um, does a lot of you know, he does a lot of homework. Uh, is constantly listening to, I guess he records, he, he reads the entire script and then like listens to his iPod constantly on, on set. He's a very like, uh, intuitive actor. Um, I think he's at his best when you kind of like try to keep him off of his, you know, off his bearings a little, when you throw him a, a curveball mm-hmm. uh, here and there. Um, that's what it was like directing him. And, he, and like I said, like he and I, he and I, I've luckily have become very good friends with him. It's so much to the fact that he's actually dating one of my best friends now. Well, so. <laughs> wow! 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 Man, you can say one point, if, if that all works out, you can maybe say one point in time that you hooked up the mariachi. You know, <laughs> exactly. That, yeah, that's a very cool uh, story for sure. I call him Don Juan Gallardo. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually met him at a party at uh, how I, he's actually one of the reasons how I kind of came on board. The price is uh, I met him at a party and at Sundance about in, in two thousand nine. And, uh, yeah, you can't be in my generation of filmmaker and not have owned a copy of Rebel Without a Crew. Oh, you yeah. Know? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a sem- he, to me, he's as seminal as, as the filmmakers themselves because he's, you know, everybody, I remember when that movie, when that buzz started on that film, everybody was on you know, El Mariachi, everybody, man. And I could, oh, yeah. at the time, it, it wasn't as easy to get a hold of a copy quickly. Let's just put it that way, okay? So. Yeah. 
it, it was like you know I couldn't wait to see this thing, and it was so I was so worried when I finally got it. I bought it on Laserdisc, I believe, and uh, I couldn't wait to get a hold of it. And it was one of those things where I finally put it in. And I'm like, oh my god, I hope this is good because it's, it's got so much to live up to now. And uh, yeah. it's a you know I, I think we're going to review it at some point on the show, all three films because we got it kind of on our schedule in the background, but. Um, it's just one of the. It's a, it's it's a very important film for I think this whole generation of uh, of modern filmmakers and and film fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I I know that there's there, you know Rodriguez has his detractors and he has you know his his huge fans. I, I include myself on on a in his fan camp. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, there's there's just something that you have to admire about the fact of of these guys that just went out there and did it. Yep. You know. Um. Uh a lot of times because I'm, I'm fortunate enough to actually be making my living doing this. I, I get asked advice on, on how to, on how to do it. And it's just like, you just have to make stuff, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? And, and the fact that they went out and they made something as, as you know, good looking as that Carlos actually showed me, um, a bunch of the, the home movies that he and Robert made when they were like 15, 16 <laughs> years old. Oh, nice. And, the film grammar in that 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 they used in, in in these action sequences that they would shoot around the same town Acuna that they shot uh, Mariachi at, it's incredible. I mean, these guys are making movies that that you know professionals in Hollywood can't even come near to. Wow. Back then, so it's so funny that you know you talk about that and it, it comes kind of full circle with with you talking about making films for your birthday because well, that's one of the things I like about Rodriguez is. He had that mentality, and I know he was making films that have, you know I've I've seen in a couple things of his, um, where yeah he would make shit all the time like he's like eight nine ten years old, and and he was doing the same thing man he was just he was making his films in his backyard but I think his brothers and sisters are his cousins and yeah it's uh it's it's great to see that stuff and and admittedly you know it's amateur um, but like you said you can see flourishes there and think wow I mean if we fast forward how many years you know you start to see really. You know, an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, the the amount of work he was doing too, because I know I've read the the book, and of course I've seen interviews with him and stuff. You know, he's editing by dubbing VHS tapes. Yeah, <laughs> which is just this uh, just a seriously major laborious task. I mean, I can't even imagine how much work that was. So. Yeah, I, that's yeah, that's how how I, I would make my movies in high school with yep. two VCRs, and it was just oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it just seems so. It seems so Stone Age in uh, in retrospect compared to what people use nowadays. So, yeah, no doubt, man. All right, I'll kick it back over <clears> you. <throat> um, this is still kind of an early, kind of broad question, Zeke. More than anything, but who are some of your cinematic heroes? I'm curious to know because you know, Sammy and I can talk about people like Tarantino, or we can talk about Kubrick, or Johnny Toe, or these guys. Um, but again, you have a more uh, sort of a different perspective and a u- unique perspective because they're peers of yours. You're a filmmaker. They're a filmmaker. So who are some guys that you really admire as filmmakers? Um, when you ask that, the first name that pops in my head is Peckinpah. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love Sam Peckinpah, mm-hmm. uh, despite his mis- misogyny. And, yes. um, and uh, you know, of course, you know, and, and then um, uh, Kurosawa. I mean, his movies to this day, I mean, you could watch them. It doesn't matter that it's in Japanese. It doesn't matter that they were, they're 50 years old. The, the, the language in that is still timeless. You know, that, that film grammar that he has, it still plays so well today. And it's like, you know, you can't watch the end of, of you know, Seven Samurai and edge of your seat, you know, when you get to that sequence. Um, you know, and then, and then, of course, you know, uh, uh, 
Spielberg and uh, Leone. I, you know, Sergio Leone's just is uh, you. You know, you guys saw the price. There's a there's a huge Leone and uh, Corbucci influence on yeah, there. Totally. Yes, which I was going to get around to asking about about your your fondness for because uh, I know you're quite the fan of uh, the spaghetti westerns. Yes, yeah, so. I'm, I'm a huge fan of spaghetti western. I mean, unfortunately, like <laughs> for a while there, everything that like I wrote, I'm like it's like this, but with a spaghetti western. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, the, you know, it's a truly cinematic genre. I think a lot of you know, I think a lot of people can agree with that. I mean, it's it's especially the Leone stuff. It's very cinematic, obviously. So. You're talking yeah. about talking about a filmmaker who pretty much, in a lot of ways, kind of created a language for film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, something that I always look, you know, the directors that I, I admire the most tend to just be the ones that you could watch with their movies on mute, you know, because they really get that film is a is a visual form. It's a visual medium, and yeah. and and just you know, Leone was so operatic, mm-hmm. you know, and everything from his shots to his editing and everything was so precise. You know, you could follow the stories, no problem. You could even get the jokes, right? You know, without without hearing the dialogue, right? Yeah, I've, I've actually tried that. Uh, I, I, re- I saw an interview with, uh, I think it was Spielberg, a long time ago, and he said that he, to him, the true test of any filmmaking is if you can watch any film on mute and still get everything. Then, then you're watching somebody who really knows how to make a movie. So, mm-hmm. because that's a very good point, sir. It, yeah, it, and I've tried that with a few films, and it works. Sometimes uh, when you get a really good filmmaker and then there's some other ones where it doesn't really work. So, you know, but, you know, some films are extremely dialogue heavy and stuff. But even then you can see like like with a Tarantino or somebody that even though he uses a lot of dialogue, I think you can still tell what's going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the 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 saloon scene in the uh, the the underground bar in Glorious Bastards. You know, you could watch that scene on mute and totally get all the tension out of that. scene. Yep. 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 Despite Tarantino being very much about dialogue you're right you you absolutely would understand uh, completely what was going on and it goes back to that thing of the the, <clears throat> the moment i first realized the genius uh in in film was or or i don't want to say film because what i'm about to say isn't film but tom and jerry for example oh, yeah. um a lot of the older cartoons i i remember i was maybe you know early teens and i thought wow you know i could mute this and i'd still understand completely because tom and oh, no, i know what it was tom and jerry never say a word to each other there's never any dialogue and it just it's strictly visual and it's still genius and it you know obviously with films and everything else when you can do that it's just it's uh, well that's the thing about the, the talking about your shorts the i think like the first maybe <laughs> 6 minutes or so maybe 5 minutes or so i don't think there's any well the kids are chattering a little bit there's no real dialogue though right i mean it's it seems the the first like uh, 4 or 5 minutes very spaghetti western yeah yeah it was it was really important to me um yeah, to because when I when I read the script, very it very quickly became uh, you know you see James. I'll just go into a little bit of backstory here. How I um, met James was it was funny. I met his girlfriend first, uh, at, and then she came out to uh, Los Angeles and was like, "Hey, we're at this bar. Come meet me." And uh, so I went out there and I show up and James and I are dressed exactly alike. I'd never met the guy, never spoken to him. It was like we were a couple of high school girls and we called each other up. And we're like, what are you wearing today? You know, um, so the Western shirt. OK, I'll wear that, too. So we show up and you know, it's, it's, it's how I would imagine uh, kind of how your guys' friendship started, where it was just so many of the same influences and so many of the same, you know, close up very close opinions on things and, and just we wound up speaking for three hours straight about spaghetti westerns about james bond about everything and and so um 
it was after that that they kind of because uh, it was actually in James that really spent the, like several years beforehand trying to get this project going. And uh, after that conversation, they were like, you know, why don't you know? I, I think Zeke would be the good guy to to do this uh, with you. And um, and so I read the script and like right away I read the first scene and I'm like, oh, okay, this is very much influenced by the opening Once Upon a Time in the West. You essentially have yeah. You know, the uh, basic kind of geography of, of a couple of guys waiting for something to arrive. Right. And, you know, you don't want to uh, – something that, that you know, Miles uh, talks about on, on Show Show with uh, Katie. And then you guys mentioned it last week is kind of the difference between homage and uh, kind of shout-outs that, that sometimes a lot of filmmakers do where, where you know, sometimes where, where the difference between an homage that works and an homage that doesn't. I think is is oftentimes an homage like will fit within the grammar of the film itself and yes. and and when it doesn't work it's like it's it's just the filmmaker being like look I've seen this movie too you know yeah yeah I'm I'm one of you guys yeah yeah exactly exactly it almost feels pandering yes um, yes and I don't know if, if which side mine falls on but what oh. what I what my my intent was with that was uh certainly inspired by the opening once a time in the West, but I wanted to kind of operate with its own language. And so there's a whole sequence um, that I'll kind of describe because I know most of your listeners have not uh, seen it, but um, there's, it's, it's a couple of outlaws and they're waiting for a van to arrive so that they can steal it. And um, the film takes place in a kind of a post-apocalyptic New York city where there's no electricity and a van is a, is a, is a very rare commodity. And things have kind of uh, regressed to an old west. Right. Uh, kind of a mix of uh, it's Mad Max with a spaghetti western, basically. <laughs> and um, and so there's a you know they're they're hanging up wanted posters, and and later on in the film, a character realizes he has a wanted poster of him, and it's a big deal. And I wanted to kind of create a something rhythmic that you know was more than just guys hanging out. Similarly to to the sound of the windmill in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, but uh, something that was unique to our film, and uh, and and so you know when we were kind of discussing the scene and stuff, I kind of came up with the idea of almost uh, trying to create a Pavlovian response to the poster later on in the scene when the character sees it. So um, uh, there's this whole I build up rhythm of uh, the the hammering of you know the wanted posters into the wall yeah. and then you these, these sharp you know quick cuts of these of these wanted posters and then it kind of built it builds up to the actual shot of the wanted poster of our main character played by uh, carlos gallardo yeah um i hope i'm making sense here i feel like I'm oh no you them. totally are dude. Yeah, yeah you totally make sense <laughs> and i like too sorry because you, you talk about once upon a but even with the kids and stuff to me it's almost like the wild bunch with the, the kids i mean they're not torturing yeah. an insect or a scorpion or something but it's still even that i felt like when you mentioned peck and pie i thought aha you know yes yes yeah you can see the influences i i like that and i like the uh the uh, the the sound effect of the uh the ticking uh, hand well, the hand watch the little, little yeah thing. yeah like you know, that, too. yeah I, I wanted to to also kind of create that was something that that we we talked about um we actually just won uh best sound design which i was very oh, nice. very flattered by at the very deserving it should yes. be said thank you thank you very much um but yeah cuz i mean you know it's it's especially spaghetti westerns they were you know they had such great sound effects in them 
you know, that was something I wanted to bring to it. And I'm a big Peter Pan fan, so I was like, I wanted to kind of create this sense of dread every time the uh, character that has the hand watch comes into frame. So I was like, well, the, I'll, I'll kind of apply this thing with the alligator, and it kind of creates, you know, it almost kind of creates this nice little uh, beat underneath, um, you know, the, the soundtrack when he enters the frame. See, is, that's the, the great thing when you get filmmakers. Who would have think that Peter Pan and, and Leone... Uh, yes. Peckinpah would ever be married together in influences, right? That, that's that's really cool, man. I would love to see Peckinpah's version of Peter Pan. <laughs> Hook would have hooked a few more people, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it had been uh, Susan George there, he would have hooked her in really odd spots. <laughs> like, whoa, hang on, what movie is this? <laughs> Didn't know he had that type of attachment on his hook there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple. You know, Sorry, go ahead. One of the, the worst experiences I ever had working with a um, producer, I won't mention names, of course, but uh, I was hired to write a screenplay a few years ago, and um, it, it, it kind of involved a, a woman who was kidnapped in Stockholm Syndrome oh, yeah. uh, occurring. And, and, and so doing research on it, of course, you kind of come across uh, Patty Hearst. And, um, and so there, there, was, uh, uh, there was a rape in the in, in an early version of the script that I turned in, and I'm never, I'm actually never comfortable, you know, writing that in because it's very difficult to when you, when you have a subject like that in a film, it's you have to do it right. You have to treat it with the respect that that it deserves to be treated with. I know that yeah. sounds kind of weird, but no, it's the truth. Um, you have a very you know heavy is is a, is a very heavy issue to to, to interject. And I, I, I've actually seen a lot of films, contemporary films. Um, put this in, and I don't feel that the filmmakers treated it with with the, with you know kind of the gravitas that that issue should have. But mm-hmm. I digress. Um, so I turned in the script, and uh, the 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 producer says he's kind of a weird dude, and he says I had a problem with the love scene. Oh my and god! Like the the love scene. And he's like, yeah, it's not erotic enough. Oh my and god! I'm like you mean the rape scene? And he's like, "Yeah, it needs to be. It needs to be like, um, oh Jesus, I can't. It's uh, it needs it needs to be uh, like the, that that Peck movie. You know, it needs to be like Straw Dogs." And I was like, "Have you seen Straw Dogs? Because wow. <laughs> it's not very erotic." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, the movie wound up going nowhere. Uh, luckily, because I would not want that to be. I actually wound up walking away. Um, shortly after that, just because I, I didn't want that to be my first script to be made out in the world. So. Right, right. W- right. Was he suggesting you pipe in some sort of erotic Enya music into the scene, perhaps? Or <laughs> he, he wanted like as if like oh, the rapist fuck. would pin her down and be like, "Hang on a sec," and then he's going to go light candles, home, oh, and then come back. I don't. I'm exaggerating, but uh, <laughs> not far <laughs> off by the sounds of this love scene guy, though. I mean. it, it was it wow. was kind of bizarre. It was kind of bizarre. What was funny is is uh, that I was in a meeting when that occurred with the director, and uh, the director was checking his email, and I could see him behind the producer. When the producer said that, I saw him just do this full body shiver of "Oh God, what did I get myself into?" <laughs> right, right. Wow. Every time I see a rape scene in a movie, now I'm going to hear this like douchey voice man say, "It's not erotic enough." <laughs> we really got to sell the rape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible He's not stuff. Not into it for some reason. Yeah, something inexplicable <laughs> reason. Awful stuff. Uh, uh, I, I think did I ask the last question? Or did you ask last? I can't remember who asked the last uh, question. Um, I'm going to say. <laughs> just go ahead. Well, just keep going. Okay. Um, 
So, well, actually, you kind of answered one of my questions, Zeke, which was what made you want to do kind of a, a, a sort of neo-Western or a modern Western? It's because you obviously have so much love for the genre. Um, but I will just say as an aside before I get into my next question that it's interesting you take New York City, which really is the antithesis of spaghetti Western in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you're able to meld those two or marry those two successfully. So, uh, you know, certainly kudos Thank for that. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of was, uh, was also the, the writer – you know, James is, he had actually written the script, um, uh, as I, I'm sorry, I, just, I have to give credit where credit is yeah, due. Hey, no, no. Hey, um, but yeah, he, he had actually wrote, written the script as a spaghetti Western and, or as a, as a straight up Western. And then of course they realized that, that, you know, doing a, a full on Western with horses and everything is going to be just way out of their price. So he, uh, lives in the Bronx. He, he he's from New York. And so he was kind of walking around and, and, uh, was thinking about movies and we're both also, you know, all of us here are big John Carpenter fans. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and of course escape from New York kind of popped up and kind of like what, you know, the question became of what if you kind of did a Western and escape from New York setting, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. But it was just, uh, like I said, it was something that I'd, I'd never really recalled seeing. So that was, that was good. Um, now let me ask you talking about filmmaking, do you think it's easier to get into directing as a career now? And when I say that, we know that, that if you want to make a film, uh, a lot of the stuff is is on hand and it's more available to aspiring filmmakers. But it, that almost, I would imagine, can have a bit of... Um, it's like everyone's getting into it now. So it's like anyone who's kind of Johnny Casual about it can get involved. So do you think it's it's easier to pursue that and attain that uh, that career? Or is it something that you think people are better served to kind of separate the, the uh, big boys from... Uh, you know, the children uh, back in the day when you kind of had to really want it and, and be resourceful uh, to get what you needed? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a good question. I I, I think, you know, I mean, it, you know, filmmaking, it's, it's yeah, I've heard you say, I think I've heard you guys say it, I've heard I've heard Bill on Outside the Cinema say it, and, and F-13 said it, it's, it's, it's you know, filmmaking is, is kind of like podcasting. The best thing about it is that everyone can do it, and the worst thing about it is that everyone can do it. Um I think that just the kind of the main difference in, in, you know, in, in the quality of work that comes out is, is, uh, the motivations as to why you're doing it. And, 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 um, I'm hoping I'm answering this right. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, you know, you say the, the big boys, you, you want to, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, if, if, you, you certainly want to work within your budget. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to try to do a big space invasion movie for, you know, no money. Um, so, you know, you want to pick material that, that suits, that suits your means, but you all, but you know, you always want to shoot it. You always want to shoot it as, as epically as you can, you know, so to speak, you want to treat it with, you want to treat your material with the gravitas that it deserves, you know? Right. And I think, I, I think kind of the thing that, separates, you know, the, the people that can do it from the people that, that for whatever reason can't is, is just really, I think you kind of have to have that gut check. I, I read a book about 10 years ago, I think it was called a used, uh, it was called a independent filmmaker and it used car prices. And he asks a very good question in the, the author of it asks a very good question in the opening, which is, you know, why are you doing this? Are you doing this to get laid? Are you doing this to get money? Or are you doing this because you need to tell a story? And, um, you know, if it's, if it's the first two, I don't think you're going to make, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to make a movie. You're not going to make a movie that's, 
a movie. You know, you're you're making a movie that's that's a means to an end, and really that movie needs to be your end. Right. Um, oh, it's kind of what we were saying. I don't know if it was off air or not about Brian Trenchard Smith. I mean, he makes every time he makes a movie, you know, that movie is is for for that minute. You know, for, for during the time he's making it, that is his passion project. You know. Right. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, I think about that sometimes, and I think about some of these filmmakers that make movies and. You do feel like after you watch a film, sometimes it was a means to an end outside of actually making a film. Uh, it could be you could see it as making a product or making exactly. a commercial for something else, or make, make uh, movie. yeah, yeah, or or the, the the very you know very base level making it to get laid, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you know that, yeah. that that I could see that. I mean, I can totally see that, I and mean, I feel like you know, especially with some of the stuff we watch, I feel like there's a lot of people making films like you're trying to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> or at least try to get rich, I should say, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about your uh you know, the stuff you're working on coming up. Uh so if you just want to go ahead and get into that a little bit. We've kind of mentioned yeah. some things, but um well, right now uh right now I'm actually I'm actually making a living directing a, a documentary on um the plastic surgery industry. Ooh. Which is uh, pretty crazy, but um, Ooh, can't wait for that. <laughs> we, yeah, uh, there. I've seen some things pulled out of human bodies that you would not believe. Oh, um, wow! And uh, <laughs> but um, and then we, I have a couple of yeah, really cool, cool things coming up uh, right now. Um, I have a Kickstarter campaign uh, for a slasher film I wrote uh, with a good friend of mine, uh, Curtis Anderson. Um, who's the producer on it called, uh, the cheerleaders must die. Yeah. And, uh, it sounds very much like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it sounds like kind of one of those, what we we're just talking about, one of those kind of shitty, uh, movies of, of, you know, let's, let's make a quick horror film to make a profit off of it. But yeah, I like to think that the team that we have involved is all, we're, we're all just really passionate about not just making a good horror film, but making a good film. Right. You know, um, as I was saying off the air, uh, Baba's a big uh, influence on me, especially uh, Blood and Black Lace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, just uh, kind of the way he kind of has a sardonic look at the uh, fashion industry is kind of the way I. The, the main theme of of cheerleaders is is uh, high school nostalgia taken to a very violent. You know, it's it, a very violent and almost absurd conclusion. But right. um, so there's a lot of black comedy elements into it as well. Are you um, are you a big fan of uh, slashers? There's some slashers you really love out there. Yeah, there. I mean, there are definitely some slashes that I really love. I mean, there's, you know, obviously the burning. Uh, I think is nice. fantastic. Nice. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. is is you know. Uh, I mean, you. It's it's kind of difficult to to point out, you know, a rare gem in the slasher film because I think that like the really good ones do get their due. You know, I think probably the. Uh, if the My Bloody Valentine remake had not come out, I, I think that would be kind of an undiscovered gem. Yeah. But uh, right, uh, I love the original My Bloody Valentine. Me too. Top yeah. three or four slasher for me, man. Yeah, it's good yeah. stuff. Well, it, it is true what you say though, because slashers, you know, pretty much the ones that are the cream of the crop, they always kind of float to the top. It's not like you know digging into Eurocrime or something like that. It's you know slashers <laughs> are kind of you know we kind of all know at this point as film fans what the you know top 15 or 20 slashers are i think they might all be in different order but we could probably all agree on the same ones probably <laughs> exactly yeah it wouldn't be it wouldn't be very yeah it wouldn't be very uh the, the lifts wouldn't differentiate very much i don't yeah, think I you don't know think so. 
Zeke, let me put you on the spot since uh, Sammy mentioned slashers and you mentioned Bava. I know where I stand on this, and I, I think Sammy might have a differing opinion than me, or maybe he's he's with me on this. Uh, if you had to pick one of these two, would you pick it Jalo as a whole, or Jali as a whole, or slashers? Oh Jesus! Um, you know, I'm actually I would I would have to say I would have to say Jali. Uh, good man, good man. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it's just going back to to what we were saying about just the visuals of film. Yeah. You know, it's it's those directors, even like even a, even you know, you could always find like a few kernels visually of a, of, a, of a shitty jolly, you know, totally. that are just that is something that will just really stick with you. They were just so good at at you know coming up with such striking imagery. Style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Are you saying there's no style in Mother's Day? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing, man, because I think my whole argument was um, I think that maybe slashers reach, uh, you know, well, I don't want to say a higher level, but high watermark slashers are fantastic. But on the whole, if I'm going to take an average Jali versus an average slasher, Jali wins every day of the week, man. Like it's just no contest for the moments you said. If you really really got into the subject, and we could talk about this for hours, but uh, I think it really kind of goes back to even though I prefer slashers over Jali, it's only because I love the cheesiness of the slasher. (laughs) Oh, for uh, sure. But for sure. I think you're looking at uh, a film world, you know, Italian filmmakers. You're looking at a culture of artists, and I think that's, that's why right. that's why that comes through more in Jolly than you know slashers. What you're looking at a culture <laughs> yeah. of, hey, dude, we got to make some MTV. money here. Yeah, we, we got to make some money. What's what's the one holiday that hasn't been used yet? Somebody got one. <laughs> Labor Day massacre. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so that, that I think that that's where you get the different the real differentiation between the two. But uh, yeah, and but you know, my my heart always goes to the cheese even though i love uh, as you know i love the gialli as well oh yeah oh yeah no for sure <laughs> yes. um okay but, just a couple more sorry zeke I, oh, go ahead if um not just not to, to be a lloyd kaufman but i gotta i gotta shield my product here yeah um, that's what we want totally <laughs> yeah shield it. uh we have uh yeah i appreciate it too by the way um we are actually i think we've got 12 days left on a kickstarter campaign to get cheerleaders going uh and basically what um, what's been happening with the project is we have a few we actually have several investors circling us and a studio um, that's interested in it and um, but the thing is, is now just the way things are I mean getting a film made has always been difficult no matter how bad the economy is but you know the economy being the way it is you really need to go the extra mile you know to kind of uh, convince people. And right now, um, we're raising money, uh, $7,000, because we want to get a casting director and a storyboard artist um, for uh, the film. And so it's always important to me to have a storyboard artist, because one of the things I want to do is uh, I want to storyboard the entire film. And then with a cast read, I actually like, put all that into the editing bay and then edit the film and make a complete previs of the movie so that I can make it as strong as possible before we even go into pre-production. Oh, nice. Um, you know, uh, you know, just pre-planning is, is so essential, you know, and because, you know, it, it's, whether it's a battle plan or, or a shooting schedule, it all goes to shit the minute you, you, you start, you know, uh, the minute the action starts. Right. And so I just wanted to be as prepared as possible. And especially with the slasher film, you know, something that I think is, is not the shit can anyone's films that's making movies today, but I think, Terror and suspense is lacking in a lot of modern uh, horror films. I, I think that a lot of it's just kind of the fetishiz- fetishization of, of the creative kills, and there's certainly mm-hmm. been a lot of 
really interesting creative kills in the last, you know, several years. But I think that's kind of where everything stops. You know, it's, it's, it's where everything starts and stops and a lot of the, the horror output that's, that's been out lately. And, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, we've got some pretty awesome, uh, rewards for anybody that donates. Um, we just added a, a really cool one. I have a, a buddy of mine that's doing the special effects makeup on the film and he's an Academy Award nominated Nemi award winning special effects makeup artist. Uh, even, he even did the, the, the pink, the baby toe and the big Lebowski. That's his creation. <laughs> Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> Something close to Sammy's heart. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My, stom- um, my stomach just turned slightly. <laughs> <laughs> I know how you love the toe damage. Thing. Oh, man. Jeez. <laughs> and it's one of those things where, I, it, because I love it so much, it seems to happen to me more often than most. <laughs> Jeez. Got your your uh, splinter story was so harrowing. I was like, I have to put that in a movie. Oh, um, it was awful, man. <laughs> but... Uh, um, one of the, the prizes that we're offering is uh, he'll give a one-on-one uh, makeup tutorial for a $350 donation um, to the project where, where you know, and, and the cool thing about him too is that if, you know, you show up and you have no experience and, and he likes you, he'll have you come to work, you know, with him. Uh, that's not a guarantee, but that's how one of the, he's one of the reasons why I'm still in the film industry. Um, or one of the reasons why, why I, I probably was able to take a couple shortcuts in my career is, um, he took me under his wing right away and, uh, he's helped out a lot of people in their careers. So, nice. um, that's something that we're offering. And then it's not just $350. It's everything from 15 on up to, uh, the point where, um, you could even be, uh, uh, have an, e- an executive producer credit on the film. Oh, nice. For donating, so there's a lot of cool stuff. And so, if you just go to Kickstarter and look up the cheerleaders must die, um, and we also have some cool little videos we've put up there too. So sweet. And I was going to say, Sammy, you know, because we forgot to do this last time. Let's uh, on the air. Let's try to um, throw the Kickstarter link in our show notes. Oh yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> we're, we're good. At we're we're so Thank good. You at that. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. God, it's the least, least, least we can do. Man. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, every time I hear this kind of stuff, I'm like, I, you know, when people talk about a film they'd like to make, I always want to see that film because, it, as a film fan, you know, it's like now you're talking about it. Now it's it's like number one on my priority list. It's like I need to see this now. <laughs> that's that's the way it goes for me. I mean, that's how my brain works. Like somebody else start talking about something, and I'm like, oh man, now I want to see that. <laughs> so that's the way I'm thinking. So yes, anything you can do to support that would be great. Um, I don't really have uh, any more questions. Well, I don't know if you have a few more or anything else. Um, we kind of touched on them with uh, with everything kind of, uh, you know, I was going to say talk about Cheerleaders Must Die, but we just did that. Um, um, I guess just one more very quick question. Um, keen to get Zeke's, um, his answer for this one. And again, it's kind of a broad question. But um, if you could have... It's a broad question. Susan George... Or Amber Susan Day. Amber Heard. No. No. Uh, you could get any three actors, living or dead, to make a film of your choice. Who would it be? Oh, my God. That depends on the film. Um, film of but, your choice. Film of your choice. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's funny is is, is uh, uh, James just turned in the, the, the price feature script. Uh, and we're going to be meeting about the budget on that. And there's a character called the Bishop uh, who's kind of this... Um, 
this, uh, he's, he's, he's the leader of, New, he's the head of New York. He's kind of this, this, uh, this church leader. And I was like, man, it'd be great to get Silva to play that role, but oh, he's too old uh, at this Amazing. point. But, um, oh man, I mean, you, you kind of want to go with like a, a Dirty Dozen style film okay. uh, where, where you kind of get each of them to, uh, and, 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 you know, it would be, I got to go with, with Mifuni, nice. Eli Wallach, and uh, let's go with, um, yeah, let's do Mifuni, Eli Wallach, and Michael Parks. Nice. nice. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> I'd love to see the behind-the-scenes banter between Mifune and Eli Wallach. I really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd be amazing. Oh man, oh, that'd be that'd be that'd be yeah, that'd be way up on my list of movies I'd have to see immediately. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well, yeah, Michael Parks, that's an actor. Yeah, and that's one of the other things I always appreciate about uh, uh, Tarantino and uh, Rodriguez. We talk about those guys. They 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 remember these actors that I think sometimes a lot of people forget about. And you know, Parks, uh, he's always been great, and uh, you know they really kind of brought him back into the forefront. Now he pops up and stuff all the time, but he he was always he was always good. Just you know he'd be in some questionable stuff sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we were talking about about Rudger Hauer earlier. I mean, he's def- he's one of those actors too that no matter what the material is, he he gives his all. Yeah. You know, I mean, if there's like a thesis to our conversation this morning, I think that's kind of you know what what separates the men from the boys, the right. the, the the pros from the children, which is the pros from the amateurs, which is, you know, no matter what you're working on, that's got to be your passion project, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, I think about that, and I think about uh, Park's, uh, the, like, speech at the beginning of uh, From Dustal Dawn, which is a average movie, maybe a little slightly above average in some ways. Maybe people, some people love it, oh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the speech he gives in the beginning of it, yeah. in that first scene, is just like, yeah, it's fucking hypnotic. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he owns the screen. I mean, that is his movie. We are almost disappointed when, he, when, when Clooney comes into frame. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, I was loving this dude. Why are you, why are you taking him away from me? Yes, you know? exactly. All right, so if, uh, if that's all of our interview questions, uh, let, uh, we'll move on to our uh, feature review. You ready to do that, guys? Yeah. All right. All right. I hope I did not bore uh, your your listeners too much. So. No, definitely not. You know, I think people listen to our show. Listen, if they've got through 146 episodes of us bantering on, they'd certainly be happy to hear about a filmmaker talk about his craft. They can listen to us talk about Turkish Star Wars for 40 minutes. They can listen to anything. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, just listening to your feedback set, you know, section. <laughs> I, I know you guys have a stellar group of people listening to you. So. Yes, we think we do, certainly. All right, so we are going to take a short break. We'll come back, and we're going to talk about uh, A Bullet for the General, Damiani film from 66. So we'll, we'll be back right after this. Hello, gentle minions. This is Dr. J and my daughter. KK! And you're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. With Big Willie and the Samurai. Bringing class to the trash. But I can't listen to it. No, you can't listen until you're older. Aw, but can I listen to my part? You can listen to the parts that you're on, and that's it. Okay. Thanks, guys.
All right, everybody, welcome back. Um, all right, so when we uh, asked Zeke to be on the show, obviously we want to talk to him about his projects and everything else, but we also knew he was a film fan, and uh, particularly a film genre that we love. We talked a little bit about it in the first segment, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about it in this segment. Uh, we asked him to pick a film to review on the show. Uh, he gave us a couple of choices, and uh, one just just blurred out, just, just jumped out at me when he threw it on there, and that was uh, A Bullet for the General, which is from 1966. I don't know if I'm going to give a shout on the uh, Italian title. I don't know if I should. Oh, please. Uh, yeah, of course you want me to. Let me see. <laughs> let me let me see if I can find it here. Okay. <laughs> here it goes. Uh, fuck, man. I don't even. Is this even Italian or is this fucking <laughs> nope, Spanish? It's Spanish. It's Spanish. <laughs> even worse. Still more in your wheel. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. I'm going to say El Canto or something. <laughs> El El Chunco Quinsabe. Quinsabe. El Chunco Quinsabe. I Quinsabe? guess. I don't know. I Which guess. I like the title better. Or you know. Well, Cuncho, Cuncho. <laughs> kind of sounds like kind of, Cuncho sounds like a nickname for a uh, you know. Like, I was really giving a tour in the Cuncho. Uh, <laughs> you know. All right, so like the flight, basic plot stops. This is directed by uh, uh, fuck. Can't even say his first name. No. Damiano, Damiano Damiani. Damiano Damiani. Yeah, you can say it that way. I, I think it's fine. Yep. Potato, and, potato. Uh, yeah. Potato potato. And uh, it's from '66. Or potato patati in this yeah. case. <laughs> patati. <laughs> and uh, the I'm trying to see if I want to, I want to make sure this plot synopsis doesn't give anything away. Uh, El uh, Cunhole's Bandits. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I had to say it, man. Because <laughs> I was thinking it when I said it the first time. Okay, El Chuncho's Bandits uh, rob arms from a train, uh, intending to sell weapon, weapons to uh, Elias's. That's hard to say in a plural form. Revolutionaries. Uh, they're helped by one of the passengers, Bill Tate, and allow him to join them. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's probably yeah. That's, that's probably where you need to stop. So, um, all right. So you know, I've seen this film before. Uh, I think maybe all of us. Oh, obviously, Zeke had seen it before. Uh, Will, I know you've seen it before. So, yep. Let's just talk about it here a little bit. This is a this is an interesting film. Yeah. So let's talk about this one. Early spaghetti uh, western in the cycle '66. When was uh, Fistful of Dollars? '65 or? Like right 64, I think. 64. 64. This is early cycle, obviously. Uh, Damiani really didn't work too much in Spaghetti Westerns. I think he made. Better shut my door here. Take your kids up, which, oh. means, <laughs> which means you're about to be invaded. <laughs> of heartbreak. Heartbreak Ridge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, know, the, 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 you might not be able to go back to sleep now, right? Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to beg, borrow, and plead. Anything else? Pull every trick out of my bag for that one. Yeah. Um, Clickety click, I mean, do a trick. I'll overpay for this one. I'm like, baby, I'll do the dishes. I'll cook for three days, and yeah. you know, I'll, I'll overpay for this trade-off. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. It's worth it for that hour. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Damiani really only made a few uh, spaghetti westerns. Um, he is oh, he's one of my favorite directors, um, particularly for his work in Euro Crimes. This was my first Damiani. Um, he is a director that's always very politically minded, and uh, certainly the Mexican Revolution. From the little I know about it, it's certainly very political. Um, yeah, this is he, kind of part of like a subgenre of the uh, spaghetti western, which is the uh, Zapata western. Yeah, the Zapata yeah, western. Zapata was that? How is it, Zeke? Uh, I think it's uh, Zapato. Yeah. Zapata. Okay. Z- yeah. No, Zapatista. Sorry. Zapatista. That's right. We were saying shoe western. Yeah. I could be wrong. But, uh, <laughs> like the sea, Zapatista. Like the sea, uh, yeah, shoe it, western. It makes an interesting trilogy if you watch like this with the mercenary and um, Ducky Sucker. Yeah, Ducky Sucker. Yeah, yeah. And, Mercenary is Corbucci, is it? Yeah, it's Corbucci. So you get three different directors uh, working in the Mexican Revolution. That's cool. Oh, yeah, arguably three different masters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
I think Damiani's probably the most political yes. out of out of those three. He, you know, a lot of ways he reminded me of Sergio Salima. Yes. Nice, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, that was so one of my notes. I can scratch that off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. But I mean, you look past Damiani, and I mean, you have arguably the greatest Italian actor of his time in Gian Maria Volante, um, mm-hmm. who um, you know we love. I mean, a lot of people love. Um, uh, you get Klaus Kinski you know, in a supporting role, uh, playing his brother, which you know they look nothing alike. Uh, but you know it works it's okay and you also get the greatest line of dialogue ever delivered by a a secondary character to an actor that we know a lot about when he says that man is a lunatic like yeah no fucking shit yeah well you're right because one of my notes for that is uh when they say that it's almost like damiani was being meta about kinski and it's funny because when when he said that i went out my wife was watching this with me and i told her the whole uh, My Best Fiend thing and how Kinski was fucking insane. And she started looking up uh, interviews with him. I was like, wow, <laughs> this guy is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, Kinski. Yeah, Lou Castell, who worked a lot. I didn't know he was Colombian until... Um, oh, really? Yeah, he, he looks nothing like... I assumed he was Swiss for some reason because Switzerland, you know, bordering northern Italy uh, because he's very fair. Yeah, actually, the second time he's been on the show, he was in The American Friend. I don't know if you remember him in that, but he was in that... I don't remember that. Yeah, he's he's got kind of a universal look that. Yeah, he does. He doesn't really stand out. You know, the only yeah. reason why I think he stands out in this film is because of his uh, costuming. Well, that and the fact yeah. that everyone else is is uh, Mexican. Yeah, and well, he's yeah. not clearly. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're Mexican. They're Italian, but they. No, no. Well, a lot of them were Mexican. Yeah. Uh, other other than a few of the a few of them were uh, Italian, but but you look at like um, uh, Jamie Fernandez. Uh, Actually, well, yeah, a pretty good mix between Mexican and Italian. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Lou Castell's real name is, is very much a Colombian name. Uh, it's funny to look that up. I'm looking um, it up now. Oh, but yeah, that's very – I can't say that one. Yeah. Aldo Sambral, you know, he's been in some things, uh, certainly. And then uh, Martin Breswick, who did some Bond films uh, – or Beswick, I should say. Did some Bond films. Um, and, you know, really, that's what that's sort of the, the – and then it should be said also – uh, I believe it was Louis Bakalov or uh, Louis Bakalov that did the the score for the film with some supervision from Ennio Morricone, which uh, which is cool. Yes, and it's a great score. It should be said. I like the score a lot too. The the bandit theme sounded like it was lifted from Django. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. After I after I heard after I watched this, I like popped in when the bandits ride up in Django, and it, it's. It's a, it's slightly different, but it's actually it's actually very close to the to the Django theme. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It's uh, you know certainly a genre uh, in a country that kind of cannibalized itself. Certainly, um, but should be a pretty good score. And sorry, Sammy. Uh, it should be said that you're talking about uh, Aldo Sembrell. I mean, uh, you say he's been in a few things. I mean, that guy's been in almost everything, <laughs> and uh, he's been you know fistful of dollars. He's in the, he's in the Dollars trilogy. He's in everything from Operation Condor to Cabo Blanco. Nice. He's in. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know, stuff Character. like Killer Barbies versus Dracula. He's in just about every fucking thing. <laughs> so that's an actor that's been that was around. He's he's unfortunately he's passed on, but uh, yeah, he did a lot of stuff. And what about this guy, uh, Spartaco Conversi? That's quite the name. Spartaco. Spartaco Conversi, 1916 to 1989. Just found the name of my next son. And, and which is interesting because he went by the alternate name Sean Convery. Nothing <laughs> was in, implied there, certainly. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this film and it, you know it's, it's got some certainly some competent people in front of him behind the camera. Um, 
you know, I love the in the cinematography. I'm just gonna get a right from the opening shot. It's just fantastic in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has that fluidity of movement that uh, you know you just know wow that this is a DOP really you know newest stuff. Um, like I love the opening shot of the firing squad with the sombreros, and I like how throughout the film they give a sense of um, of, uh, of placement and identity, and 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 it's clearly defined who's who. Uh, with the sombreros, like I like that he I, he kind of got away from it a bit in the second half of the film, but I loved a lot of that stuff with the sombreros. I thought it, it looked fantastic. Yeah, what's yeah. It? I, go ahead, I, go ahead. Sorry, go no, no, no. Go ahead. I'm cut you off uh, there. The, the uh, yeah, I really that's one of my notes is like I really like kind of these slices of life shots that he would do, mm-hmm. especially like you know in the opening when they had the the firing squad and um, the, there's this, there's a shot that was really striking to me of the children popping up over the fence, looking almost gleefully. Oh, yeah. At these men about to be executed, it really, it really gives you a sense of just kind of dropping you in the middle of this world. Um, and then also uh, the shots of, um, like you were saying, of the sombreros, the soldiers on the train as it's as it's going, um, as it's uh, leaving the station, and you just kind of see the soldiers kind of hanging out. It almost reminded me of um, like very documentary shots mm-hmm. uh, with, with you know the actors almost looking into directly into the camera. It really made you feel like you were in the immersed in the world, right? Right. Oh, yeah, and that's one of the things that that you know I think Damiani was you know obviously influenced by some of the neorealist filmmakers from his country in the forties and fifties, and he applied that with a more political bent, with you know certainly more verve or style. But um, yeah, you're right. He kind of drops you in the middle of that, and because he's a guy who was very politically minded and focused a lot on the disparity between northern and southern Italy and uh, the conditions that the southern Italians worked under, something like this with Mexicans, the Mexican Revolution was was ripe for him to uh, have as the backdrop for a film that, that he himself, I know in doing some research, shied away from the term saying it's not a, it's not a spaghetti western, it's a political film. Well, I think he was maybe being a little too... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word I'm looking for. But but in saying that, it was his his thing was certainly to be more politically minded than than to cash a check. He just knew that he if he was smart, he could make the film he wanted as long as he put horses and hats in it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think I'd actually read um, on the Spaghetti Western database uh, that he said it was kind of an allegory for uh, the CIA's actions in South America. At the yes, time. yes. So he's he's a really intelligent guy, and, and um, like I said, we're going to cover some more of his, his films as we go on. Because like I said, I, to me, he's one of the masters of of Italian cinema that doesn't get enough love. You know, it's it's funny. Um, you mentioned the Spartaco Conversi guy, so I go through his filmography because you know I'm obsessed with <laughs> this kind of stuff. And I didn't know there was a spaghetti western spoof out there. Uh, it's called "And They Smelled the Strange, Exciting, Dangerous Scent of Dollars." <laughs> Uh, from 1973. Solari did one that was a, a take on the dollars title, too. I can't remember what it was now. I didn't know this. And uh, also, I didn't know he was in a, uh, uh, a movie. This is a movie I don't know anything about. I've never heard of it before. And that's the amazing thing about film is you think you know. Spaghetti Westerns tend to be one of the genres I know quite a bit about. I didn't know there was a Spaghetti Western called Shango. No way. Starring Anthony Steffen. Uh, wow. wow, I mean, you know, let's go ahead and call it Django at that point. I mean, you don't really need to go Shango. 72 other Django films, you might as well. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Yeah, and some new directors I've discovered as well. So, interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, Lucas telling this, he plays very much the kind of imperial. He's, he's very much the, the uh, kind of 
you know, upper class white man. Everyone else is kind of very dirty and dusty, and you really get the sense that Volante, he he's a peasant who's up who's partook in the uprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Castell, we see him in his suits, and he, you know, I always associate that kind of stiff look with with being British, <laughs> right? You know, uh, and he he very much has that feel. And there's that great line early on when the young boy says to him, "Senor, do you like Mexico?" And he's like very dismissively and kind of dryly says, "No, not particularly." He just kind of fucking walks away. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, that, like you said, Zeke, just one of the shots that struck me with that whole slice of life, and kind of get back to that for a sec, um, were just some of the shots of the Mexicans playing on top of the train. And it just, yeah, so many shots in this film that, especially in the first half, that really um, established a sense of, of people and established a sense of um, bystanders and, a, and of, a, of a people kind of thrust into something in um, Vicky's yeah, real life, I guess it, it adds certainly uh, context to the the battle itself and the war itself, and and, and the humanity without just through through a couple of establishing kind of shots of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, really good stuff. Um, I have to say that I cannot hear a train in any film and not think of a spaghetti western. <laughs> no, it's true. Especially, especially the train whistle in the spaghetti western. It has a very distinct. I think you know the thing about uh, Italian cinema is they all. It seemed like they all had the same like soundboard. <laughs> you know, they all had the same gunshots. They like, hey, you know, like Leone called up, uh, you know, uh, Damiani and said, "Look, you know, I really loved your train whistle, man. I need that for Once Upon a Time in the West. Can you send that to me?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if they were in the modern era, it'd be like, dude, send me an MP3, please. Yeah. <laughs> No. And the gunshots, uh, because the gunshots sound very similar to just about every other spaghetti western as well. Oh yeah, that was yeah, like sort of a stock, stock sound. A um, great, the great scene where they do that uh, execution outside through the train window. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a great shot. I love the whole opening of this film. It should be said the it's as it's as much fun as any opening of any spaghetti western. I love the whole all the way up to the the end of the train thing. It's just it really sucks you in. Oh yeah. yeah. Did you guys notice the? Um the, the, the slight overacting. Uh, 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 there was always one person in every, you know, kind of firing squad lineup that would overact. <laughs> and then, yeah. there, there was one dude at the 35 minute mark. I, I, I made a note of it. it. He does this weird, like, crotch grab. And <laughs> well, you know, it's like he diamond his page, you know? Well, you know, I mean, you know, everybody's an actor, you know? They're thinking, oh, look, I got my face covered up. I'm in this damn, you know, all this stuff. I got, I got to really sell this, man. I got to be. the shine. <laughs> Got to move like James Brown and get noticed. I'm in a movie with Klaus Kinski. I really got to. I got to step it up. Bring your A game, man. Yeah, no, that was good. Good call, Zeke. I like that. That's that's a good point, man. Someone always oversells it. That's right. I like that. Um, I can't. I can't help but smile when we see Volante come on the screen, marching drum, kind of tassels on his hat because he is really an absolute force of nature in this film and in most films he's in. Yeah, yeah. Most he's in. I'm sorry, Zeke. Let me just say. No problem. I'll say. This is probably my this is probably my favorite film of it. my favorite performance of his. Oh wow! Uh, that's saying a lot because I know he's had a lot of great performances, yeah. but this one he has the glee mm-hmm. of being like on. Glint in his eye. Yeah, yeah. He just he is so charismatic in this film. He's charismatic anyway, even when he plays a bad guy, even when he plays a stone bad guy. Mm-hmm. He he's just great to look at because he's got a great face. Uh, he holds the spaghetti sweat well, uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe better than any actor in the history of spaghetti sweat. Uh, but in this one, he's just so happy to be there. You know, it just, that's that's the feeling I get. He's just like, it feels, and I know he's a very political person himself. 
There it so is. I think you know he really was really very passionate about this. I just, I just feel like there's a lot of passion that comes through in him from the first time you see him to the last time, the last thing you see him do, which I'm not going to give away in this film, to the last, the closing shot of this film, which is just, it's just you know, I'm just laughing and smiling. I'm just I'm so in love with him the whole time in the movie, and it just pays off, you know. Mm-hmm. And he he brings a real like he he seems almost I, I don't want to say he's like child he brings kind of a very childlike quality to yeah him. Like the glee yeah almost I mean I, I kind of noticed that with with especially as his performance but also the way all the bandits acted with one another it was almost like they all kind of had this this innocence this naivete about them mm-hmm. where it was almost like you know going back to what we were talking about uh, Peter Pan with the price it it, it almost felt like Peter Pan. And the Lost Boys as, uh, yeah. as Mexican bandits, you know. Good call. Right. Good call. And he is very childlike because there's a lot of scenes where, like, uh, yeah, they're talking to him and stuff, and he'll say, you know, "What do you mean by this? You know, what do you mean, Nino? What do you mean?" And he's like, "Blah blah 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 blah." And he's like, "Oh, that's true. That's true." You know, there's these little moments where he's just like, you know, he's he's almost he is completely a child because he doesn't even realize what he's saying or realize what's happening. And then somebody says it, and he's like, "Oh yeah," you know, like a kid would, like, "Oh yeah, that's true," you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I love the moment with the train. It is a fantastic opening. And the film's pretty pacey through the first 40 minutes. There's like, I think, three kind of reasonably large-scale shootouts. Um, but I love that it's really great. It's grim. And there's some really grim moments in this film that I think Damiani really shows that he doesn't he doesn't romanticize or glamour. It's almost like Peckinpah. He shot violence in a way that, you know, it, it showed the brutality of... of of that sort of thing, like when the train, when they got the guy tied up on the train, uh, he's crucified basically, and the train keeps on going. And yeah. the, the metaphor for, you know, it doesn't matter if we're going to run down our own people, we're going to get where we need to go. And I love that moment when the guy's underneath the train because they keep going and, and they run down the thing, it just shows the wheels of the train cutting, coming over the, the cavalry sword or whatever. Right. Um, I thought it was a fantastic moment. Yeah, that's a great that's, that's something that, that's actually one of my favorite parts about about the movie as a whole is just it, it, it kind of sets up this like dichotomy of different moralities within the film because you have the guy that's strapped down to the the tracks and is saying you know the life of one man isn't worth the, as the life of, of, of 60 and then the the officer on the train really struggling with that you know posi- with that decision to run him over and then also when when he finally does you see Valente's reaction Chuncho's reaction of of just shock that they would do that and it kind of sets up this you know i feel uh almost um uh you know it sets up kind of this 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 moral code for both of those sides and the only one that doesn't really seem to have a moral code at that point and just seems like an opportunist is Tate is uh is um Castle or Castell mm-hmm. yes yeah, no, good call, man. Uh, he looks like a, a Brando a bit in some of the early train shots. Yeah. yeah. Should be said. As the film goes on, he doesn't as much. But, um, you know, great thing about Kinski, a couple of the films we've had him on in the show, other than, of course, Zero, the infamous Zero, uh, was a few dollars more. And, or was it a few dollars more? A few dollars he was in. A few dollars more, right? Who was it again? I didn't hear you. Kinski. Kinski. Yeah, it was a few dollars more. Yeah, yeah right. Um he, you know, he was a guy that, despite looking like he really wasn't in the West, he doesn't have a, you know, doesn't have like a, a you know, kind of tanned, grizzled exterior, but he does have sort of the, these fantastic eyes that were the mark of a lot of uh, spaghetti westerns. Great eyes, he had a great look. The lines in his face all lent itself very well to being a spaghetti western, despite looking like this insane Germanic man. Yeah, yeah. 
gargoyle. Gar- yeah, yeah, he, precisely. He precisely. Fits, somehow, some way, he fits into the spaghetti western world, and I've never understood it. But it's just one of those things, you know, where he just he fits in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he does. Um, there's some great exterior shots um, where they kind of have um, a lot of the, in that cowboy color spectrum of you know the purples and the blues and the oranges and the pinks as the sun's going down and they're setting up camp. Just some really great, beautiful stuff. Yes. Yeah. Reminds me of some of those paintings you see and stuff. Just really great, really great. Um, I think we just talked about this. I don't know if it was on the air. Oh, we must have talked about it on the air. About how it's one of the very few, and certainly one of the first, almost exclusively look at the film. Um, that you Zapata or Zapatista westerns, um, and to look at it from the Mexican point of view specifically, which a lot of times it comes under the sort of the cowboys and Indians thing. It's always usually the cowboys, and uh, I think that's really interesting. Certainly, yes. Mm-hmm. And you leave it to a filmmaker like Damiani to to do that. Um, there's a pretty painful. Uh, she loves me. She loves me not. Flower pick uh, on a mustache <laughs> in this that would have me like you know. You, I don't know. I'm sure you guys have both had mustaches. I know Sam yeah. has. And and you like even tweeze one of those hairs, and it brings tears to your eyes. So yes. and I'm sure you know uh, if I know anything about uh, Volante, he's method enough that that was a real stash, and he wanted the guy to pull it too oh. to evoke a, a certain reaction and a literal sort of immediate reaction from him. I mean, you see the rage in his eyes. Is it going? <laughs> yeah. and, and hopefully that wasn't too many takes, man, because I'd lose the <laughs> shit. Yeah. I, I, doubt it, I doubt it was just strictly because of the schedules of Spaghetti Westerns, but, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I wouldn't win Method that way because I have had a mustache. I don't wear one anymore. I just wear the chin hair. But, uh, yeah, the, you get a couple of those caught in something, man, and it'll, it'll wake you up. No doubt about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple, just for a few final notes here. A great quote when they're going to kill a rich man, and he says it because I'm a rich man. And one of them replies, "No, it's because we are poor men, and you've done everything you can to keep us that way." Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's a fantastic line. Um, some great bromance with uh, Volante and and Castell, certainly in this film, which you know, being guys and stuff, and this is a genre that really had did bromance maybe better than any mm-hmm. uh, spaghetti western. Um, Going back. The um the the music I, there was this great like kind of bromance theme that would play and I thought it was it, it complemented those scenes so well. Oh totally yeah no absolutely, um, and again another thing with the harsh realities of, of war when you see these it's uh, several moments in the film the young boys arming up for war, getting their guns. Um, it's just kind of you know it shakes you know that I'm a grown man. I see these these kids lining up for something just they have no business. Um, but it was one of those things. It was a desperate time for people that wanted to certainly be freed and, and you know, they needed to do what they needed to do. But And even the, the moments when um, you can see these men, these, these people are starving. And there's a really poignant moment when uh, Chuncho comes into town and he gives the guy who's probably in his late teens at the most this loaf of bread. He can see that he's hungry, obviously. And then that guy shows, that, that young man, that boy, you know, has the leadership or the, the whatever to say. He gives it to the younger children, and it, to me, that was a really poignant moment. These these people are starving, and they they keep fighting for their cause. That's there's something incredibly powerful about that. Mm-hmm. That young boy, I think he was in. Uh, he's in another spaghetti western promo. He's been in a few. Yeah, and I can't remember which one it was that he kept. He's been in the Dollars trilogy. He was in Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. He had the place Chico or something was his name. So I looked him up because I knew I'd seen him before. Yeah. Um, he's got a very memorable face I wonder 
Did he go on to do anything else? Uh, I, other than a few spaghetti westerns and a few things in the late 60s, I don't think he did anything else. But just couple of Beswick, I think uh, the female lead in this is fantastic as the steely woman who kind of holds her own in a, in a very male and masculine genre. She she is believable and convincing in her role. Yes. Yeah. She's got a great fun scene where she, she goes into that camp with her parasol or hat on. <laughs> So it's really good was it stuff. just me or when, she, when she's smoking that cigar she looked incredibly sexy she totally did man <laughs> she knew how to she knew how to hold it and stuff it was <laughs> her way around a cigar it was great um, and of course the, the iconic quote from this film don't buy bread with that money buy dynamite yes. great stuff <laughs> so, great there you go I'll, uh, I'll kick it over to you guys uh, okay I guess I'll go since uh, Zeke picked the film I'll go, I'll go ahead and go because uh, I only got a few more things to add uh, yeah this uh, you know this little there's a couple other films we didn't really talk about. They're in that kind of genre. Probably you could think of. Uh, uh, we did mention Fistful of Dynamite. We mentioned uh, The Mercenary, right? That was the other one we mentioned. Uh, yeah. Campaneros is in there, which has got a great mm-hmm. theme song. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah. that's one. That uh, but the ones that uh, always get overlooked, along with this one, in my opinion, they get overlooked. Is Face to Face, which is the uh, oh, Facha Facha. Yeah, yeah, that's this the uh, that's the Salima film. Yeah, and uh, also for Price of Power, which is uh, I believe it's a oh I'd have to look it up, but I think it's it's either Tarantini or Valeri, uh, one of those two. Tarantino anyway. Valeri, yeah, yeah, one of those two guys. But anyway, they get overlooked quite a bit. Uh, I do know that the Price of Power one is a Gemma film. Uh, Never seen that. He's a, but it, it's a it's a good film, and Jimmy did some good ones as well as we know. So, uh, but yeah, you definitely seek those out because I mean they're all in this kind of little like subgenre of the spaghetti western. They're all kind of fun. Of course, there's some American ones too. There's a the isn't it Anthony Quinn didn't he do a Viva Zapata? And I think he did, man. And then uh, there's uh, one of the Via films, I think. Yeah, that's a Bronson one. Via rides, I believe. Yeah, and there's Via rides again. And- yeah. So there's all kinds of this kind of stuff, but all this kind of, you know, Mexican bandit stuff. It's a lot of fun, you know, because it's these, you know, it's, it's, it's basically is the Robin Hood type. It's like a Robin Hood type. Like, you know, these heroes yeah. with the, you know, are villains with a heart of gold, you know, type thing. So, um, yeah, I love a good Kennel drum playing bandit. There's nothing quite like it. Uh, <laughs> he also has some great lines of dialogue. One of the ones I really like is, uh, and it might be the dubbing and stuff like that. Like, it's an attack. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost comedic. It's you know like what yeah. the hell you know, it's an attack. But I really like that. I like the the moment too with the uh, soldier leaning up against the cactus. Uh, I, I I didn't see that coming. I don't know how I didn't see that coming the first time I saw this film. But uh, you know, I saw it coming this time, obviously. But wow, well, yeah. you know. Um. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, I don't have a whole lot more. I mean, we'll hit on everything. Uh, I really enjoyed the relationship, the bromance, so to speak, between uh, Nino and uh, Chucho. Uh, I really like that quite a or, bit. Or, or as you call it, cunthole. <laughs> or cunthole. Uh, no, no cunthole. That's a Doc Zom spaghetti western name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> El cunthole. I like the theme song he'd write for that. Uh, well. He has to get on it. He can't be. He can't be too cool for school now that he's got his own show. He's got to do a spaghetti western theme, the cunthole theme. <laughs> he's so prolific. That he he probably he already he's probably working on it right now and he doesn't even know he hasn't even heard this yet so yeah um, but uh, Volante he was a very special actor uh, you know I, I say that, you know I mean he did a lot he had a lot of great performances don't get me wrong he's really great in face to face and he's really great in a lot of stuff but this one it just for me it just it just screams that this is the moment where I fell in love with him and uh, for a few dollars more but it was a different type of love than this one this one is the one where. 
you know, I get that, uh, you know, I, I got to imagine in some ways even Klaus Kinski was on set saying, dude, you need to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, you know, was probably like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> imagine Klaus Kinski saying that to somebody, you know. But if you think about Kinski sometimes in his Spaghetti Western work, he was always a little bit more subtle in his Spaghetti Western stuff. I don't know. If, I think it's because it was earlier on in his career. Yeah, too. yeah. Because once, right. once he got into working with Herzog and some of those guys, he really... Well, he went off the deep end. It was like a big fucking snowball that just couldn't <laughs> stop. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, th- this this film is special. Uh, if you're not really familiar with the genre, this is definitely one you – it's a must-see of the genre, not just of the subgenre, but of the genre of Spaghetti Westerns altogether. The ending is absolutely perfect. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, and, when he, when he, and then there's that moment of realization. It's yeah, just, that, that's the that, – uh. that from that point on, it's like – you know, you're just so wrapped up in this movie. You're just like that. That is that is just so perfect. It's just, and a lot of times with endings, and I think all of us can agree with this. A lot of times, films, some of the strongest parts of films, are you know beginnings or middles or certain scenes and things like that. But endings don't always come up. They, they cause some, a lot of people don't really know how to end a story. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not really a knock on anybody. I just think it's really difficult to wrap a story up because you know you can build and build and build, but sometimes it's really hard to wrap it up. But this one wraps it up just just perfectly. It's like it's like a nice little bow on type of a gift, you know, that uh, Damiani's given to you, and it's just it's just perfect. Um, I, I do like the music. I tried to find the music for the show. Uh, that was a lot harder than I thought it would be, so <laughs> that didn't come in uh, on time. So if I can find it, we'll see. But uh, hopefully, it'll open the show. We yeah, do. I thought about that when I was in bed last night after watching the film. I thought, oh man, I got to find the thing. I'm like, oh fuck, it's too late, man. I got to get to bed. Yeah, because it can it could be a wormhole all its own. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I really love this film. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I was so glad that Zeke picked it because I, I, I tried to work it in our schedule before and I just, it's just one of those ones that kept kind of jumping off of our schedule. It's not on our roadmap, but it was always one I kind of had in my back pocket. So once he gave us those choices, I was like, well, well, we got, you know, those are all great choices, but we got to do a pull for a gen for the general. So, yeah. so, you know, that was easy for me to pick anyway. But uh, I really don't have a whole lot more notes. I just think it's a gorgeous film. It's well shot. Um, you know, Damiani brings it, man. It's uh, it's great. It's great stuff. Zeke, no, you want to add some more? Yeah, just I mean, pretty much. I mean, we've pretty much said it all. Just the, the, that last shot when with uh, Valente, you you can't help but feel like such joy. Just you mm-hmm. can't feel his his joy come across in in, in the through the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's this this movie really is kind of a tour de force for him. It, it's I think on the uh, IMDb page, it's kind of giving people credit where credits due. That someone kind of commented what it was kind of an odd role for him and, and especially Kinski as well. And they both pull off these very warm characters. I feel. I mean, Kinski yeah. has a bit of insanity to him, but he has a real. Hi. Nice. Oh, hey, look who he is making a cameo appearance. You haven't been on in a while. Hang on, William. Sorry, guys. Sorry to derail you here, Zeke. Daddy, you have Oh, Daddy's done his cereal. But listen, Daddy, can you say hi to Sam? Hi, Sam. Daddy, Daddy. And we have a very special guest, one of our friends who actually makes movies for a living. His name is Zeke. Can you say hi, Zeke? Hi, Zeke. And can you Hello. say, and and um, say, Zeke, good luck with your film. Mm-hmm. Say, say it louder. Say it with some <laughs> conviction. Zeke, cast me as your uh, lead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you talk about whirlwinds. This Volante's got nothing on this guy. Yeah. No. And, and um, can you say al chuncho? Say al chuncho. Right. Can you say al chucho? I've never seen you shy. 
He's in a daze. He just woke up. Uh, I give Daddy a kiss then. <laughs> say al chuncho. I'll, I'll give you a bite of my my fruit lips if you say al chuncho. Al chuncho. All right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. High five. Okay, buddy. Here. And one kiss for Brayden and mommy. Sorry, guys. Love you guys. Okay, here's a, a spoon of soggy <laughs> Fruit Loops. I can pay him in soggy Fruit Loops. So I got a real racket going on. But uh, yeah, that was from when we first started recording. Okay, I love you. I love you. Okay. See you later, kiddo. <laughs> I'm not going to tell him the Zom name. <laughs> Did, uh... Um, Rick, there's a running joke where we'll get Rick to pronounce Italian or like, like more like uh, non-white names, and instead of Alchunjo, he's gonna say Alchunjo. <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna tell William to say that. Yeah, I got what is Chuncho? That's the guy from the movie last night. Oh, yeah, the main guy. In Italian, Chucho means donkey. No, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> no. I don't know if any of uh, Volante's exes called him Chucho, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Possibly. But anyway, sorry, sorry, Zeke. You know, yeah. when the juggernaut comes in the room, I got to kind of just. Oh, dope. I, I, short of us sitting around in a room in white leather pants, I, I don't feel like, <laughs> I, I feel like this is the ultimate gentleman's experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have felt, I would have, I, I would have felt like I'd missed out had nice. uh, William not shown up. Yeah, you've I got, you've gotten it all. You've gotten little William, you've gotten sound issues, you've gotten, uh. <laughs> Me oh. saying El Cunt Hole. You've gotten it all. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. I was, I was. There was a secret part of me, some secret dastardly evil part of me, that was hoping he would mispronounce it and say Cunt Hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. Because I would have been like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to the dark side. Yes, uh, but go ahead, Zeke. I'm sorry to derail you there, but that's, that's part of the process here at the GGTMC. <laughs> no problem. I got a dog that wants to play tug of war right now. So (laughs) there you go. Um, Let me see what else I got on there. But uh, yeah, as I was saying, um, just uh, you kind of see like a, even though there's an insanity to, to Kinski always with those, those eyes, he's got a kind of a kindness to him. Um, And then uh, I thought the use, the, the, the gold bullet that uh, Tate had, I thought was, was kind of, was, was interesting. And, and, uh, I, I wondered if uh, Damiani was was being a little symbolic uh, with with kind of the the motive for most imperialism, yeah. um, essentially being what uh, the bullet was made out of, or if it was just a cool visual. Maybe I'm reading too much. No, no, I, I don't think you are at all, especially because what we know of Damiani certainly, and I think it, it certainly, yeah, I, I have to say too, is it, it was a way I think for Castell's character to. Because I think this was clearly one, you know what, I don't want to say too much, but I think it was something where he he had sort of understood a bit of a different philosophy. And although he wasn't completely on board, he was enough on board and sympathetic that he had to do, you know what, I won't say anymore. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of difficult to talk about without giving away a kind of major spoiler, so. I was exactly. I, I'm, I was sitting here on pins and needles trying to see how you were going to talk about this, Will. So I'm sitting there like, let's see if he can get around this. But no, he, he, you're better off not to even go yeah. that far. <laughs> one of one of the uh, few flaws of the film that I noticed was uh, Tate's uh, after uh, Tate. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. He gets he gets ill at one point. Oh yeah. And uh, afterwards, he's, he's he's more pale than usual, and and his pale face ends at his chin line. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, whoops. Uh, 
And then uh, I, I thought the scene in um, when they when they go to I, I believe it's San Miguel and they go see the town boss where you know you had the line of Are you doing this because I'm a rich man? Um, I really like the way Damiani always. I, I mean, he just he does this and everything is is no one's just kind of hanging around as an extra. There's always stuff going on. There's like a whole scene going on in the kitchen in the background of them, like mm-hmm. of the a couple of the bandits fighting over food. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. While, while this whole other, you know, intense scene's going on. And then just his use of deep focus, I thought was, was, uh, pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that's all I got while I have a dog trying to get me to fight for my sock. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. That's, oh, that sucks. What, uh, what, triple stitched or whatever it is, man. That's what, funny. uh, yeah. what, what type of dog do you have there? I have, uh, two black labs. Ah, yes. A man, nice. a man after my own heart. I have a. I'm a. I've had two black lives. I had one pass away about three or four years ago, but uh, uh-huh. I got another one that's a rather robust, large uh, feeding. Oh, not feeding, but eating machine. This dog will eat 24 hours a day if I let him. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much pretty much my dog. If I let, if I that's pretty if much I let me. Him, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my yeah I just got a, a second one as a um, as a foster dog, but. Oh, yes. uh, before long, I wound up having two dogs officially. So. <laughs> yes, that's the way the foster. We, we've never done foster dogs because uh, that wouldn't work for me and my wife. We're dog lovers. We would have a fucking kennel if we did the foster dog thing. There's no doubt in my mind. I'd be like uh, El Cunhole running around beating my drum, going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was another thing that I wanted. To, I liked how um, it's when 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 uh, Chuncho shows up and you see and you hear the drum. It sounds like it's part of the soundtrack. Yes, and yeah. it's actually him playing it diegetically in the film. I like that a lot. Yeah, and I love that you said that term because I can never remember that term. I was going to ask you what it was. But, yes, uh, it not only is it great there, but they also because they set that up that the later on when you see they use it again, and he's not doing anything, but you you subliminally you you attra- you attach that drum to to uh, El Chuncho. I said it right that time because I was saying yeah, something. Yeah, you were, but you went. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, I wanted to say it serious that time because I was trying to make a point. I didn't want to make it sound like another dirty joke. So, you know, <laughs> can't wait for all of our female listeners to listen to me say the words, you know. Better you than me, oh. <laughs> Apologies, but it uh, you got to admit it's kind of funny. It was organic to the El Cuntol and milk, what is it, milk cans? Milk yeah. cans. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you are having a good day if you get a hold of some milk cans and an El Cuntol, so... <laughs> That's how I ended up married. So there you go. All right, uh, all right, uh, all right. So uh, let's get into our make or break stuff. Well, I'll kick it back over to you. Where did I put my book? Put me uh, my own young bandit. Oh, there it is. Okay, made off for the okay. Make or break the scene with the train. I love that scene. Nice. Um, the opening scene, just that moment. Like I said, when the train keeps on moving, because like I said, this is a pretty grim western. People are shot in the face and execute like firing squads and. You know, there's kids witnessing this, kids taking up arms and stuff. It's it's a grim movie, um, in a lot of ways. And like that's the, just the train scene. I think just kind of represented all that quite well. Um, MVT. I could go with Damiani. I could go with all the players in the film, but I, I gotta go with Volante. I mean, you know, like Sammy's talked about, and like he said, you know, Volante is a, is a, uh, a force of nature, and in this film, it's it's really the Volante show. Um, how how do you out force of nature Kinski? But he does, and uh, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, my score for the film is an eight out of ten. You know, it's definitely a, one of the better. Whoa, no, you're uh, naked. You gonna go in the party? Okay. I'm glad you were talking to your son. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, uh, yeah, my, 
My Sky yeah, my scores an eight out of ten. Don't you don't pee on daddy. Oh man, here we go. So here comes part two. <laughs> yep. Okay, so sorry, I'll uh, I'll kick it over to you guys. The sequel to my favorite spaghetti western, Yellow River. Yeah. <laughs> uh I, I don't really I don't want to waste any time in saying this, Will, but we totally agree on everything. Uh oh, nice. Make or break's the same, my score is exactly the same, and my MVT's exactly the same. For all the reasons you mentioned. Uh yeah, I mean this is I don't know if there's ever I know we've had a few where we've totally agreed on, but this one's like uh unanimous uh, so far as me and you go, uh on how we feel about this one. So that's that's pretty special. I like that. Well good stuff. Yeah. The cunhole brought us together, which makes sense if you think about it. Yes. Oh, I'm just calling you. All right. All right, uh, Zika, what do you got? I could say I'm on you guys just to be different, but I'd be a liar. Um, I, I'm right with you guys, the, the make break, the MBT, and um, yeah, the score. The score. I, might go, I might go an 8.5. That's I might fair. go an 8.5 on it. Yeah, um, yeah I absolutely... Love this film. I got this film in um, that uh, Once Upon a Time in Italy box set that came oh, out. Yeah, yeah. And this was probably, I mean, this, this wound up being such a surprise for, for me. And, and I just absolutely fell in love with the film the first time I saw it. And, sorry. Uh, sorry, one sec, guys. I have to ask your child upstairs for breakfast. That's okay. We'll wrap it up here. And uh, yeah. when you come back, we'll get the feedback going. Okay, great. Um. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, Zeke. I mean, it's it's a it's a special movie. It's definitely top ten for me now. It's top ten spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah, he's easily easily top ten. Um, uh, it would it would almost be it, it, I, I could almost say I could almost say top five, but it's just when when but you got those damn Leonis and Corbucci's in there that are just so good. But uh, yeah, no, it's this is this is this is just uh, such a great, and I actually think. Um, I like this movie almost. This might be a little sacrilege, but uh, I almost like this a bit more than um, Ducky Sucker. Yeah, you know, me and Will have talked. We never reviewed Ducky Sucker on the show, but uh, we've joked around about the music, the Sean Sean, that that, that thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I have to. I think Ducky Sucker is a great film, but I think it's a very bloated film. It's very yeah. big and epic when sometimes I don't think it needed to be, but. That and also I think uh, as good as Rod Steiger is, <laughs> I think he's a little he's almost a little campy than Ducky yeah. Sucker for me. You, you know, um, Eli Wallach was supposed to. That would have been that would have been better because uh, it almost feels like Steiger was doing Wallach. That's what it almost feels like to me. Oh yeah, Ducky Sucker. Yeah, and he was okay. saying that he thinks this is probably better than Ducky Sucker. But... I really like Ducky Sucker a lot, man. Yeah, I know. that's a tough. That's a hard question. <laughs> Even the music though, right? Shom shom shom. shom. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I, I kind of I like this one a little bit more because I think it's a little bit more leaner, uh, and a little bit more oh, straight yeah, to the point. Suckers, but what two forty or something? Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, it's a it's a big movie like Rod Steiger's Wasteland. It's a big one. Oh yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, Leone did everything on an epic scale. You know, so all right. So uh, that's our review of uh, Bullet for the, uh, for the General. So uh, definitely check that out, guys. Look for it. It's out there. Uh, get it. Watch it. Trust me. You want Blue Underground? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Bay? Somebody. Uh, somebody put it out. I can't remember who. So don't ask me because I'm not great at it. That's when we need Brian Brian uh, Rupert on the show. Yeah, he's <laughs> he probably knows what label put it out, what year they put it out. Oh yeah, so he's good at that stuff. But uh, that is that. So we are going to take a break, come back, and I got some listener feedback. We shall return. Hey everyone, this is Coffin John of V Cinema, the site that covers Asian film from cult to the classics. Join Josh of VariedCelluloid.net, Rufus of CineAwesome.com. 
and me on the V Cinema Show, a podcast that features Asian film discussions, special guests, interviews, and live event coverage. Our podcast is published bi-weekly on Mondays. So check us out on vcinemashow.com or search us out on iTunes. Also join the discussion and fun by following us on Twitter at vcinemashow and joining us on our Facebook page, which is located at facebook.com slash vcinema. And of course, check out our blog at vcinemashow.com for reviews, features, and interviews. got some listener feedback to get into um yeah i don't really know what else to add about that except that we got listener feedback to get into <laughs> i always think i always feel like when i do these things that i always got more to say than i actually do and then i realize the length of our show and i'm like i think i say enough so <laughs> so you know yeah. like, maybe i should you know tone it down a little bit so all right so uh we got the one email do you want to do it or you want me to do it uh, sure, I'd love to do it. It's from uh, a guy who, who we've recently got acquainted with uh, who's got a fantastic website. That's teleports-city.com. And let me make sure that, that that is in our links section. Teleport City. It's not yet. I'm going to put it in there right now. Oh, there it is. Okay. So enjoy. Uh, he's talking about Johnny Hamlet. He says, enjoy the review a lot. I just got a copy of this film, and I've been looking forward to it since Castellari is one of my favorite directors, though I'd never seen him direct a Western. In regards to the characters, having the bluest or greenest eyes ever, have you ever seen or heard of The Headless Rider, a Soviet Western film filmed in Cuba, featuring a hero who is far and away the grimiest, grittiest, most rough-and-tumble Western character ever. And he sends us a picture, and this guy is um, as clean-cut Aryan as it comes, and he says, hmm, or maybe not. <laughs> anyway, talk about a strange perspective on the Western genre. Also, I wonder if you've seen any of the East German Indiana movies. Would you call them schnitzel westerns? Anyway, the unique take there is that German that, uh, Germany was really into Native Americans. Most are westerns feature Native American heroes rather than using them as villains or background color. Well worth watching if you can track them down. Um, and he says, don't want to self-promote, but if you want some general info on Indiana movies. And it was this teleport-city.com backslash WordPress backslash question mark lowercase p equals sign 2831. Not as glamorous as the link itself. But, yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I was over there uh, yesterday looking at a review for Sons of Great Bear. Yeah. Which uh, was pretty interesting. I, I think it's a I didn't even know about. I didn't even know about most of these. No, I know um, Loaf went on a kick with these Soviet westerns a while ago. I am absolutely fascinated by these, um, the German and the Russian westerns, especially I think you look at it through Soviet eyes and stuff and really fascinating to me. Zeke, have you seen any of these? No, I haven't. Yeah, they sound pretty crazy, man. Uh, I definitely want to get into uh, some of them. Indi- Indi- Indiana or Indiana? Indiana? Indiana. Indiana. 
I don't know if that's an Indianer, but it's hard to say either way. I wonder if that's what they really call them, Indian Indianer, uh, whatever. Yeah. Interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, definitely. So thank you for that. As always, Teleport City, wealth of knowledge. All right. Thank you very much for that. All right, uh, we got a few voicemails, uh, <laughs> so we will get into those. We got a. Always when we have a guest on, they got to fill the brunt of uh, this gentleman right here. So here we go. Gentlemen, Doctor Zom, uh, doing the uh, defiance. Uh, Daniel Craig, Lib Shriver, uh, Blu-ray thing. Uh, drinking some uh, V8 spicy hot juice thing. Uh, watching the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Uh, listening to a little Gordon Lightfoot, and uh, also a little Chris Christopherson, and. Uh, well, I watched a movie, real good movie. I think it would be good for you guys to cover on a show called Take the Lead, starring Antonio Banderas. Good movie. What? Good dance flick. Uh, a <laughs> little John Denver going on there. What the fuck? Uh, a little Long Hot Summer with Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, Orson Welles, Tony Franciosa, and, um, yeah, Lee Remick. Uh, yeah, I was uh, watching that, too. And uh, uh, a little um, Streets of Fire, a little Fantastic Four and Psycho Man, and uh, a little more John Denver. And then uh, <laughs> watched a, um, a, um, um, a movie called The Clinic, uh, Australian movie. It's good. I'm reading uh, Freddie Blassie's book. Uh, you listen up to Pencil Neck Geeks. And uh, watching a little uh, the show Louis, Louis C.K. on FX, and uh, Eddie and the Cruisers. Um, Beyond Scared Straight, Coffee, uh, Hill Up in Harlem, and um, yeah, man, I'm telling you what, you know, I'm just clicking them off one after the other, 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 about a new motorcycle, Dynamic Dude, someone to watch over me, Tom Berenger, uh, Terax, uh, The Tamer, uh, yeah, man, you know, it just keeps going on and on and on with Eddie Coyle, Eddie Coyle, Eddie Coyle, I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching, I went to Hardy's. And, uh, you know, I had uh, Taco Salad there, listen to the Breeders, a little more Fantastic Four. And uh, that's about all for now. Uh, I just wanted to say that um, you guys rule. You guys rock, you rule, you're rocking, rolling, rolling, and rocking. So a- he was probably rolling and rocking on the porcelain after he had that spicy V8. Uh, yeah, you could, yeah, you could hear him. He was still doing it there. So, <laughs> Hope the, uh, the flange is in good order on that toilet. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, as you can see, he's a—I guess he's a pop cultural stream of information. Yes. That's a he, very Tarantino-esque I, moment there. I imagine him sitting in a room like the architect at the end of the Matrix too. <laughs> like six TV screens and a book in his hand. He's, yeah. The most Eat. immaculate porcelain bowl you've ever seen. We had that spicy tomato juice, but you also hear he had a, a taco salad from taco Hardee's. Salad. So he's mixing yeah, those two together. That's a combination for, you know, some seriously potent feed, volcanic yeah, uh, feedback. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Talking about streams. <laughs> exactly. Very careful. I have to wash out his cunt hole. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A very crass show this morning. Apologies. <laughs> that joke came out of nowhere, and evidently I can't let it go. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Uh, next voicemail. There we go. Uh, let's get it from Justin here. Hey, guys. It's the Cinemask. It's Justin Eberholzer here uh, calling about the Boogans. I actually watched the film right before I listened to the episode since I had a copy, and I just had it in my collection for a long time. I just never watched it because I do that all the time. And I figured what a good time to watch it. Uh, not going to delve too much into my opinion since it's basically what you guys 
said, it's uh, it builds nice atmosphere and has some well written characters, but it just hour in there's nothing really going on, so it, it's okay. But uh, I did want to call on something I was hoping you guys would discuss, and I was glad you did. That was Tiger the Bichon Frise. I actually own a Bichon Frise. His name's Casper. I went for a ironic name instead of a tiger type name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I really thought the way they treated that dog was horrible. <laughs> That uh, the characters lost brownie points with me. I liked the characters, the well written, but when the dog, when they were with the dog, uh, I got really annoyed by them. Like I remember the one spot when she, when they're leaving, she says, "Don't you chew up my shoes or anything like that." My exact comment was, "I hope he chews up his shoes." And when he did, I started cheering the dog on. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, that, I don't know. It was just that dog could not win. Like, and it was worse too because I couldn't tell if these people were joking or not. Like when that one uh, engineer uh, sits down, I forget the character's name. And he he's tell, telling the girl that uh, he has a. Uh, present for about the dog and that it was uh, like a little electric chair for it I couldn't tell if he was kidding or not I hope he was kidding we'll never know thankfully but there was a part of me I was like are you being serious or so but yeah definitely uh, I do have a B. Sean Frise and he's a cute little guy see it's funny though because before I go I'll mention this for anybody who has a B. Sean Frise is uh, every now and then because mine is a bit more shaved than the one in the film but when you have to shave the dog, because you usually have to do that every now and then, if you shave them pretty much completely, they end up looking like sewer rats. So as much as I love my dog, I hate it when he ends up looking like a sewer rat. I prefer when he has more fur on him. But, uh, yeah, as a huge dog lover, I could not believe the way they were treating that dog. And halfway through, I was like, you know what, this would be a more interesting film. The dog just snaps on him, Cujo style, and just goes crazy. I, I think I would have enjoyed the film more if he did that. <laughs> All right, I'm, at, I'm out of here, guys. Bye. Where's, where's uh, Justin from, exactly? I can tell you right now where Justin is from. Why? What's your guess? He's from. Where would you guess he's from? I, I see where he's from. He sounds a little bit like he's maybe a little southern, but nope, Pennsylvania. Wow. Well, I guess it depends where boats uh, for that. Yeah, answer, yeah, but no, he's from Pennsylvania. Sounds a little. Uh, the way he was saying dog. Ah, it's kind of you know interesting. Anyway, uh, just just out of curiosity. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they treat the dog like shit. They really did. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things where why do you even have a dog? It's, it's, I don't know. Have you ever seen the Boogan, Zeke? No, I have. After your review, I was like, I have to. I have, even though <laughs> it wasn't the best review of the film, I, I wanted to. I, I was still really curious. Yeah, I think I think Miles likes Boogans. I'm, I'm not sure. I remember the one we uh, either either likes the film or he just likes the title. You know, with Miles, I never can tell. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I remember he retweeted my tweet and said Boogans, guys. That's what he said. So, <laughs> so either he loves the film or he. Or, you know, Miles is a very sarcastic fellow. Uh, might might not love the film at all. I don't know. So, but yeah, I would. Uh, you know, don't rush to see it. It's not a bullet for the no. general. <laughs> so, <laughs> certainly not. Definitely not that. All right. Uh, and, and and sorry, Justin. I promise you, this weekend I will have all your questions answered. Yes, yes, Justin. You're you're getting a nice taste, like Zeke did today, of the gentleman's got a midnight cinema. We are perpetually late. We are perpetually behind on things. Uh, but we will get it to you. We, we we are dedicated. We just are always crunched for something. So. But when they get yeah, it's worth the wait. Yes, thank you. Go. You're too kind. All right, uh, last voicemail from the the deadly doll herself. Hey, gents, it's Emily. Wow, apparently I just went through puberty and my voice just changed. Anyway, uh, this long response to the Boogans episode. I didn't grow up with it, and I caught it a few weeks ago on TCM and was equally underwhelmed. I thought it was okay, but I didn't get the sort of cult love for it, other than, I guess, the law of supply and demand and the fact that it's unavailable. Um, the main thing I wanted to say is that I really enjoyed your discussion of the dog and how it was treated in that film. And I agree. That, I mean, the dog was kind of an asshole, but they, it was because that's the way it was raised, I guess. Um, 
The only other time I have watched a movie and really wanted the dog to bite it, if you will, ha 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 ha, uh, Dead Tom. Curious if you would agree with me on that. In Dead Tom, there is a dog, and I, the dog is adorable. He's like a little terrier mutt, and cute little, little dog clearly adopted from a pound. Except, he's an asshole. And he <laughs> just keeps doing things wrong, and like, um, taking the side of Billy Zane over Nicole Kidman, which I mean, really, in hindsight, who can blame him? But still, I remember watching that movie, and also at the time I was dog-sitting, and the dog I was dog-sitting was neurotic and kept barking and freaking out anytime he heard a dog bark. But um, I was rooting for the dog to die in that movie, and I'm wondering if that makes me a bad person. That's all. Love you. Bye. I don't know if it makes you a bad person to hope an animal dies in a movie. Uh don't think it's the same thing as hoping an animal dies in real life. Uh <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I remember that dog slightly. I don't really remember the dog so much in Dead Calm. I've only seen Dead Calm once, so I can't. Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it on TV. That that's the one with um, uh, Ber- uh, Patrick Bergen or something. Or no, no, it's uh, Sam Neill. Oh, right, right. Uh, Nicole Kidman and Billy Zane. I think I got that right. I'm I'm thinking of the one with um, Julia Roberts. Oh, uh, uh, sleeping with the enemy. Yeah. No. Is that the one with the husband with the mustache? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bergen or something? Yeah. 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 Sleep with the enemy. I don't know why I know that so well, but I do. <laughs> That's the one that notoriously known for the brown eyed girl song, which goes back to another, uh, you know, well, I don't want to talk about brown eyes. Anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> Going from one end of the highway to the next. Yes. <laughs> Going down the taint superhighway. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, I don't think it makes you bad. I mean, but they just that, that dog in that film. It's just like you know, I don't even know why they were mistreated. It's just one of those things. It's just really an odd. And it's funny. She mentions that yeah, it, it maybe it's what makes it a cult film is that it was so readily unavailable for so long. Uh, people just you know had the, like even me, I had these fond memories of this film, The Boogans, that I watched on cable TV. But now going back and seeing it, it's not nearly as scary as I thought it once was. So it's kind of an interesting uh, experiment sometimes when you go back and revisit stuff from your youth. Sometimes that can be great. Sometimes it can be awful. Yeah. It's, it's funny kind of, you know, growing up, you know, coming up through the 80s when cable was in its infancy and they would just play everything, yeah. you know. And so I wonder if people are going to have that kind of memories that we do. Because I don't think that you'll have, you know, a generation of, of people looking back on things like the Boogans or, or whatever because it's it, everything's very mainstream now. Yeah, you know what? You, you, make, a, you make a very good point because, uh, you know, I'm an HBO subscriber and – they don't show anything but commercial fare, really. I mean, you don't hardly ever see anything classic or anything. It's almost all, you know, year to two years back recent stuff with the occasional classic mixed in. They don't, they they have special channels for certain things, but even then, you know, you got to extra subscribe and stuff. So I don't think you're going to have a generation of kids like that now. Of course, you've got a generation of kids that can get a hold of anything anytime they want now. But yeah. but you know, the ones that grew up with cable TV and got to see stuff like uh, like the Boogans and all kinds of random stuff. I mean, the reason why I've seen so many movies is because I've seen most of the movies on cable. You know, mm-hmm. so it's amazing that all the stuff they they showed a lot of spaghetti westerns when I was growing up. They showed a lot of Bronson films. I've seen almost every Bronson film I've seen, and almost all of them played on cable television. So mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yeah, but I never really thought about that. You're right because when they first when at infancy, they just were throwing every film they could on cable television. Exactly. It was like the Wild West. I mean, they were just yeah. like, we need content. Throw everything. I mean, I remember I remember all the movies USA would play even, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, I'll get to see, uh, if I'm watching HBO now, I get to see Date Night. And I can see it three different times tomorrow. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's the way it is now. All right, so that's the big show. Uh, Tom, DJ, you just sent us a voicemail. Uh, we're running short on time. We'll play it next week, buddy. We'll get back to that. Uh, that is the big program. Large William, you want to say the pleasantries? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, check out our sister shows, OTC Show Show, uh, and of course, a new sister show, um, Silva and Gold. <laughs> yes. A spinoff, if you will, as they, yeah. they have lovingly referred to it as. Uh, Good Friends Piccoloaf and Dr. Zom have started their own show, Silva and Gold. Episode 0 and Episode 1 are both up uh, on silvaandgold.com, I believe it is. Yes. I have not listened to the first episode. I list, did listen to Zero. Uh, talk about a lot of good things in there. We'll, i got a Labrador we'll going crazy in the background over here now. Uh, <laughs> check out all of our friends at palaver.com. Check out Hammockus, uh, Cinema Awesome, Paleo Cinema, Married with Clickers, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, Podcast of Honor and Humanity, and The Criterion Cast. Also, check out our favorite couple in the MIC, Dylan and Christine, over at paracinema.net. Get a subscription, uh, nightmaretheater.blip.tv, weareyoungmonster.com, teleport-city.com, um, and then these blogs are all .blogspot.com, the GGTMC, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Deadly Dolls House, you heard from Emily, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Fist of B-List, Cinema Gonzo, uh, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask, and then we also have deathrattle.net, lightningbugslayer.com cinemasatori.wordpress.com uh, check out Diabolic DVD um, cinema-de-bazaar very hard to find John Renee's promo code gentleman for 10% off your orders omg-entertainment.com promo code ggtmc10 for 10% off your orders and of course the mighty camera obscura um, also check us out on Facebook um, friend us join the group Twitter.com backslash GGTMC, Large William, Bob Freelander, um, Pickle of 10, and I'm forgetting someone. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Uncool Cat. And then actually, Zeke, what's your Twitter? Uh, Zeke, Z E K E underscore uh, Pinero, P I N H E I R O. Yes. Excellent. So you can follow and- Zeke. Uh, you can also find uh, The Cheerleaders Must Die on Facebook, uh, facebook.com backslash tcmdmovie.com. Yes, yeah, so like it and uh, follow along with everything there. And like we said, we're going to post the Kickstarter campaign uh, in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, with that being said, we have iTunes. Uh, people can donate to our uh, show if they wish to do so. And uh, with that, I guess uh, certainly I want to say... Um, Thank you very much to Zeke. It's it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll definitely we'd love to have you on again, Zeke. Um, yes, time. That would be that'd be excellent. Yeah, it's so, great. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to finally talk to you. You know, I've talked to you on Twitter and emails and Facebook messages for a long time. So it's oh, great yeah. to finally talk, uh, not face to face, so supposed to speak, but at least voice to voice. There we go. <laughs> yes, and and Zeke, it should be said, is the most creative Friday follower, and always giving us shout outs about Canadian <laughs> tuxedos and. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. Just a, a great person. If you want to support a great person working on a passion project, there's no better person than Zeke to do that for. Nice. Thank you. All right. That is the big show. What are we doing next week, Large William? Well, it is your turn to program a Diabolic DVD episode. Um, interestingly, we're going to be getting into a filmmaker that we have differing opinions but, on or varying degrees of love on. But, hey, but aren't, we doing, aren't we doing something else, though? Because we kind of talked to somebody about something else? <laughs> Oh wait, so hang on. But <laughs> yeah. I thought we were just going to push. Hang on, which are, okay? So are we going to which do- one? Which one do you want to push? I think you already told the. Uh, we made a commitment to somebody, so I think we might have to stick to the commitment. Okay, so then that's fine. I, I misunderstood and thought we were going to go the other way. Okay, let me tell that person that I already sent them a message while we were doing the show here. I'll tell them to disregard, and things are as planned. Yes. So in saying that, we are going to have our good friend Brian from Hammockus on next week. 
Uh, we are going to be doing, we're going to keep, if you've loved us in chaps for the past two weeks, keep them on. We're going to have them on for one more week. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, another film on the Django cycle, Django the Bastard. Uh, and we're also going to be doing, um, can only be described as a GGTMC, potentially Pantheon film. Um, from what Bryn says, it's an Ollie Reed film. I think it has that famous uh, French kiss between Oliver Reed and Brian Thompson uh, called The Revenger. Yes. So we're going to be doing those two films yeah. next week. Yeah, the saxophone playing hero film. So <laughs> cannot <laughs> wait. That's right. <laughs> Uh, it should be fun. And Brian's about a long time coming. Uh, kind of get him on the show. So great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. So that is going to be the show next week. I think uh, with all that, I can comfortably say, adios, adios, adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at two zero six 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 five two zero seven, and you can email the gentleman. Midnight Cinema at gmail.com.